turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. ...is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Chronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like Special Advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell... You're fired. Paid by Chad Chronister, Republican for Sheriff. Sharing with those who are following him about what it means to have true success in this world. And from the world's perspective, profit is defined by the excess of business revenues over business expenses. But Jesus in this passage brings the implications of this word into focus on differentiating between worldly profit versus spiritual profits or those that are surrounding and based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are three words or three observations I want to focus on that surround this matter of profit within a life here on earth. The first word is popularity. Now, the word popularity addresses how those in the world or those in certain groups or constituencies look upon a person or their endeavors. From the world's standpoint, popularity is measured by followers on social media or accolades received from notable or prestigious institutions. But according to the Bible, popularity is not a profit that should be the primary aim of anyone living in this world. You see, you can become popular with a group of people or certain constituencies in the social or even business arenas, and yet circumstances can change, and one can go from being a hero to a zero overnight in terms of popularity and the lack thereof. Sadly, many spend their entire lives trying to gain more popularity and feed their own egos and perception of their own self-worth. And Jesus warns, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And that would include worldly popularity. Dear friend, what matters most in your life and mine and anyone who is born into this world is the realization that our God in heaven has created us And he is the one to whom we must give an account. And the most important thing is not being popular in the world sense, but being right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so popularity would be a prophet of the world when the primary focus leads one astray from seeking first the kingdom of God. The second word or type of worldly prophet that comes to mind is the word prosperity. Now, we hear of that word many times within standards of living, of constituents, or portfolio values, and the accumulation of wealth. But, dear friend, prosperity in the world sense is another type of profit that is a barrier to truly being right with God in heaven. To prosper means to have abundance, to have increase, to accrete possessions. But what does it profit a man or woman living on this earth to have all of the possessions 
or prosperity that can be achieved in this world and yet live and die spiritually dead, separated from God because of their sin of unbelief and, yes, their idealizing of their prosperity. Now, let me be clear. The Bible teaches us it is God who gives the power to create wealth and that when God blesses with material things out of his favor upon humanity, it is a wonderful thing. But the problem is when sinful men and women like you and I put the accumulation of material things and the pursuit of earthly increase as an idol that dethrones in our lives the rightful place of God as our creator and king. Soul prosperity is when we become born again by the gospel. And through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we experience that blessing of spiritual prosperity. However, a worldly prophet of prioritizing material prosperity becomes a curse and hinders one from truly following Jesus Christ. Jesus is very direct, and he came to the bottom line here as his disciples were listening to his teachings, which were very strong, as we heard from the scripture read. Jesus is declaring that if you want to have your life here on earth and you want to have prosperity and popularity as your main focus, then you will not be able to truly follow Christ because you will have other gods you have set before yourself, gods of this world and not the God of the Bible, to save one's life or live in accordance with one's own desires outside of submission to the God of the Bible leads to a result of death, not life. And prosperity can become one's idol in this world. Friends, there are so many in the marketplace today who wake up every day, the primary objective of building their own kingdom on earth, of accumulating wealth and possessions in order to bring more pleasure and security and gratification to their lives, but they are blinded to the truths that Jesus is sharing here. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and that would be in prosperity, and yet loses his own soul? Friends, we are to live in this world in preparation for the next world. Our lives are here today and gone tomorrow. They're like a vapor, the Bible says, like the clouds that come in for a storm, and then after the rain, they move on within the atmosphere. So your life and mine are lives that but a bleep on the radar screen of eternity. And the last word or observation, I believe correlated to this worldly prophet that is a barrier to seeking first the kingdom of God, is the word prominence. Now, when referring to prominence, I mean fame and power and influence. Many times that comes along with the other two observations of worldly profit, that is, of popularity and prosperity. But prominence is really the drive and passion to have power over things and over others in relationships and to use one's influence to expand the worldly profit of prestige. It's interesting when we look at the life of Christ, who is the Son of God, who came into this world on a rescue mission to save sinners. It was by the word of his power and the power of his word that he even created this world, and yet he came into this world in order to redeem those who were pursuing the prophets of this world. He is the only one that's ever lived on this earth who had the right and authority and ownership to declare himself to be the God he is. 
and who is deserving of worship and submission from every person that has ever lived and walked on this earth. But yet, he put aside temporarily that glory he shared with God the Father in heaven, and he came to earth that by his redemptive work, he might reconcile to God sinners who were in need of a great Savior. In the marketplace, there is a quest for power and control that disregards the rightful place of authority that God demands to have in the life of his image bearers. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ exchanged his perfect life for ours when he died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, that we can truly receive spiritual and eternal profits or increase by repenting of our sins and believing in Christ alone for our salvation. What a great need there is to each day focus on sharing the good news of salvation that comes through Christ The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has perfectly satisfied the righteous requirement of God's law, and that through his life and death and resurrection, we can receive the profit he has earned on our behalf through his redemptive work on earth. Will you join me in taking this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are in unbelief around us? God bless you, my friend. Coming up next. The good news is that the good news is still the good news. Don't go away because when we come back, we'll visit with Paul Dietzel. He's the CEO of Antidote, one of the largest online giving platforms. Ministry in the Marketplace is a listener-supported program. It's because of your faithfulness and financial support that we've been able to personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to nearly 100 countries through pastor training and local evangelism. And we've seen countless lives changed for eternity. To join us in taking the gospel around the world, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, or you can call us at 1-800-684-6339. That's 1-800-684-6339. Thank you for joining us in making a difference in the marketplace. Ministry in the Marketplace. Every week we get to visit with people who are using the platform that God's given them to make a difference in the marketplace. Well, our guest today is Paul Dietzel. Paul can best be described as a young technology leader who has built a thriving company with an idea that those who serve best lead best. His company is called Antidote. And it's one of the largest online giving platforms in the United States. Paul's been able to facilitate the generosity of others in a service-based business that specializes in easy-to-use digital tools and superior customer service. If you're a football fan, you may have heard of the name Paul Dietzel before. His grandfather is the legend that led the LSU Tigers to their 1958 national championship. We recently got the chance to sit down with Paul to talk about Antidote and his passion for marketplace ministry. Here with that conversation is your host, Richard Hamlin. We are blessed to have Paul Dietzel on the program. Paul, welcome to Ministry in the Marketplace. Hey, wow. Thank you for having me today. Well, let's get right to it. Can you share with our audience briefly how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. So, you know, my faith journey is a complete testament to God's grace. 
Uh, and it's not because I have some big story or incredible story or anything like that. But whenever I was around seven years old, uh, because of just God's mercy on my life, he had given me two wonderful parents and four amazing grandparents, all who loved the Lord, all who had spent uh, their life serving Christ uh, in their respective careers as as business people, as football coaches, as workers, as mothers. Uh, and it was because of their godly example of, of faith in Christ that at an early age, I was sitting in a, a church service and it just, the Lord just spoke to my heart. And it, I just knew that I was a sinner, that I uh, could not do anything to save myself and that I needed the Lord in my life. Uh, and because of my parents' um, witness to me and because of their example in the home and in the community, um, it made me want to follow Christ even more. Right. Because whenever you whenever you see somebody that you love and you respect and you admire uh, do something, it makes you want to do it even more. And so I'm just thankful to the Lord that they provided that great example and that the Lord uh, saw fit to save me and to to go before me in my life and and to, to pave that path. Amen. Well, the Lord has been faithful and he's equipped you for such a day as now. And he's using you in a very significant way within our modern day culture and reaching people with the gospel. Uh, we're in the midst of a pandemic now and it's affecting businesses, churches, households. Uh, where do you see business and industry really going over the next few years? Yeah. So, you know, I was reading a McKenzie study recently that said the world had advanced 10 years in 90 days. Uh, I mean, who could have imagined earlier this year where we'd be today? I mean, you look around, businesses are struggling. Uh, even mm. iconic brands in our country, Sears, Brooks Brothers, I saw Lord & Taylor, uh, J. Crew, Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, all of these different businesses that are, are staples in the, in the country, in the economy, are struggling. And small businesses are collapsing. Um, you know, also, too, recently, the U.S. Department of Labor had shown that in the month of April this year that Americans lost 22 million jobs in one mm. month. Now, to put that into perspective, right, in 2008, in the Great Recession, Americans lost 8.7 million jobs in 18 months. So in yeah. 2020, for Americans to lose 22 million jobs in one month, it's just That's incredible, incredible, right? I do think, though, that there's opportunity here for the country. If we can learn to adapt and we can, if we can learn to pivot, um, I believe that the market for retail and hospitality might not ever necessarily return to pre-COVID levels. Um, mm -hmm. I think that education, particularly higher education, uh, will change greatly. I think yeah. online courses are quickly disrupting the university experience. Students are deciding that, hey, look, maybe I can just as efficiently learn never leaving my bedroom. That might be a few states away. But I do think that there's great opportunity in the digital economy. Uh, you're seeing that, you know, there's going to be more and more businesses embracing technology, embracing new ways to connect, new ways to engage, new ways to build relationships. So I don't think that the relationship piece will change. I think that it just becomes even more important for businesses to serve uh, their consumers, to serve their people um, in new ways. Yes. Amen. Well, you're leading a important component within the digital economy. Uh, you have a company that you founded and uh, is serving uh, with uh, the needs of online giving within uh, Christian stewardship as a service-based platform. Can you share with our audience a little bit about that and um, just about how you see the generosity of, of followers of Jesus? How How is that? Uh, proceeding uh, during these challenging days. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I think that 
One of the things that, you know, we've been really thankful to offer technology that empowers organizations to grow and to fulfill their purpose through that growth. Um, you know, whether that's been ministries or nonprofits or Christian institutions or even political campaigns, you know, for the last decade, we've really been at the forefront, as you said, of the online giving movement. And while reports have been, you know, have come out from the Chronicle of Philanthropy and other agencies that measure charitable giving, showing that giving is down because so many people have lost their jobs and, you know, they're trying to hold on to their cash. There is a, a small positive. We are seeing that you know, in the midst of the crisis, that we are seeing an uptick in giving to the individuals and the agencies and the institutions that have a really sound and defined purpose for their work. And so, you know, back to what I said earlier, I believe that those who serve best uh, and with transparency will always have a base of support. I truly believe that excellence and service will always result in excellence of growth, which kind of ties into what Antidote does with our technology as a, as a payment service provider and a software company all bundled into one where our organizations, whether churches, ministries, campaigns, Christian institutions, they have a simple and easy ability to be able to collect donations and payments regardless of the medium, uh, whether it's text message or Facebook or their website or uh, any way they'd want to collect a donation uh, is really making that easy. And even more important now that people are you know, stuck at home, they're not necessarily able to ask face-to-face -face, uh, to support or to engage with an organization. Um, it becomes even more important to be able to capture that intent because the intent to help people, the intent to support organizations and causes that you care about is still there. Um, it, it's just, it's a little different than it's been. Well, God will always be our provider. Amen. Amen. And what we're praying for, even during this time of desperation and, and, and economic loss and hardship, is that God in his mercies and, and grace will provide, of course, for the needs of, of his people, but also that uh, God would raise up more grace givers who would see giving as really a form of a practical worship within their lives. Uh, and even if they're separated from their congregations for a period or whatever, that they see the need to continue to give towards these wonderful gospel-centered projects. And let's talk about a piece that you wrote for the International Alliance for Christian Education, which is mm -hmm. also called IACE. Um, you entitled it Morning to Morning with Morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, to morning like in the morning when you wake up. Interesting title. Can you tell us about that piece and your thinking behind that? Yeah, I, I enjoyed writing uh, that piece. It was I was grateful for the opportunity uh, and the the great work that Dr. David Dockery and many others over at IAC are doing. We're, we're thankful to be partnering with them. Uh, I think that COVID really, in in some ways, has broken some of our idols. Mm -hmm. uh, and whenever that happens, it hurts. Yeah. COVID also revealed to us just how fragile we truly are as individuals and as a nation. We need to take time to grieve and to mourn, and that's okay. In fact, it's necessary. We can't just mildly skip over the pain people are genuinely experiencing that we're seeing across our country. But in that process, I basically called on us to three things in the piece, resolve, resilience, and reform. Uh, you know, we must resolve to renew our moral vision of business and not lead others into insolvency or ruin. Uh, we need to continually put forward and try out new ideas. Uh, we need to build the institutions of our nation. You know, the formative genius of the founders of our country was the resilience of the American institutions uh, like the military, the local schools, colleges, uh, universities, the hospitals, companies, legislature. 
the family, the church, community associations also could be described as institutions. In the words of U of 11, actually, institutions are durable and formative in their necessity for the flourishing of life. And I think COVID-19 has revealed just how fragile the American institutions have mm. become. And I think it's time for the next generation or a next iteration even of that genius, right? And then finally, uh, in the piece, I called for reform. Uh, COVID has exposed a lot of rot, a lot of corruption. Mm. It's time to face some of the hard facts. Public health strategies founded on epidemiological realism in an increasingly interconnected and mobile world must adapt and reform or people are going to die for no reason other than just a stubborn refusal to do what's right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, perhaps one of the most obvious things that, that's been apparent, right, is America's reserves for key medical supplies, medicines, stockpiles of equipment. And that has to be addressed. Yes. You know, America's financial system and economy also has to learn from the failures of this global crisis. We have to strengthen ourselves and we have to really be rebuilt to withstand severe external shocks, such as another global pandemic, because now that it's happened, we know that it can happen again. Absolutely. Uh, and I guess the paranoia, for lack of a better word, is going to be out in the marketplace and within even consumerism. Uh, on gathering together and how they spend their money uh, for goods and services, it's going to be a new day. And uh, I'm thankful for what you're doing and your contribution to not only Christendom, but also to you know the, our greater society in this matter. Well, we have a lot of people who are unemployed, Paul. Each month, the numbers really get worse. We have stimulus packages. We have unprecedented monetary quantitative easing from the Fed. We have fiscal policy in the trillions that's loading up uh, debt that's one day got to re be repaid somehow. Uh, there's, it's a time of really uh, darkness uh, and, and desperation, but the church is Christ's body, and it's alive in every generation, and it's time for the church in our generation to become truly the light among this darkness. So uh, in your view, uh, how does the church today have a role uh, with helping to be constructive and provide solutions to the, these challenges that many Americans are facing today. The good news is that the good news is still the good news. There you go. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ must serve others in his name. And we know that's costly. Uh, and it sounds good to say that the church should help the hurting and care for the poor until you actually start doing it. Right. Working with people is always a challenge in any situation because we're all sinners. We know that, but particularly during crisis, it's imperative for the church to stand strong and serve others in the name of Jesus. Uh, I'm reminded of earlier times, uh, a severe plague and sickness. It was Christians who dared to be near the suffering and serve in ways that others weren't willing to do. So my hope is that churches will find new ways to care for their members uh, and for the loss outside of their membership in communities and in their neighborhoods. Yes. Amen. Well, as we close this conversation, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone listening today in terms of their being a Christian businessman or woman in the marketplace in 2020? There's a lot of uncertainty out there, as you mentioned. There are millions of people losing their jobs. There's millions of businesses going through tough times. I would say the one piece of advice would be do not fear. Trust in the Lord's promise of grace and help when you need it. Most. Find a good church and join it, be involved, love and serve. 
I think that is the most important thing right now, especially during these times. It's a good word. How can our audience connect with you and find out more about your work? Uh, with me personally, I'm on all the social networks. <laughs> uh, Paul Dietzel, D-I-E-T-Z-E-L. And my company, Antidote, is also on the social networks or just antidote.com, A-N-E-D-O-T.com. And that's an anagram. If you rearrange those letters, it spells donate. That's great. Paul, thank you for the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Ministry in the Marketplace with pastor, evangelist, writer, and entrepreneur, Richard Hamlet. Our guest today has been Paul Dietzel. He's the founder and CEO of one of the largest online giving platforms called Antidote. If you missed any part of Richard's conversation with Paul, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, and click on the link that says Past Shows. Ministry in the Marketplace. And now, with today's wrap-up, is Richard Hamlet. Dear friend, as we begin to close this program, I want you to reconsider again the words of our Lord Jesus Christ about the meaning of true profitability in this world. It is not based on the material realm or the physical realm, but it is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given you and I the assignment as followers of Jesus to declare the good news of salvation and the forgiveness of sins to those we encounter who need to hear this truth. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our listeners today and that they have invested this time in this program. I pray, Lord, that you would use them as your ambassadors to declare the gospel of reconciliation. May you use them in a significant way to advance the kingdom of God within their spheres of influence. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ministry in the Marketplace with pastor evangelist, writer, and entrepreneur Richard Hamlet. If you missed any part of today's broadcast, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, and click on the link that says Past Shows. Ministry in the Marketplace is a listener-supported program. It's because of your faithful financial support that we've been able to personally take the gospel of Jesus Christ to nearly 100 countries through pastor training and local evangelism, and we've seen countless lives changed for eternity. To join us in taking the gospel around the world, just go to our website, mitmradio.org, or you can call us at 1-800-684-6339. We also want to encourage you to keep up with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tune in next week when Richard Hamlet brings you another edition of Ministry in the Marketplace. Today, there's nothing more important than the truth. Republicans need to know the truth about the candidates for sheriff. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell is attacking your sheriff's office on this radio station. Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. Now he's suing your sheriff's office. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. The truth is, Sheriff Chad Cronister has put criminals behind bars, dropping crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving over $40 million by eliminating wasteful spending. Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. As Donald Trump says... You're fired. 
disgruntled deputy Charles Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. You're fired. Now Boswell is suing your sheriff's office. You're fired. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. You're fired. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. You're fired. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Sheriff Cronister puts criminals behind bars and has dropped crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell. You're fired. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. I'm Charles Boswell. Sheriff Chad Cronister has started a desperate false smear campaign against me on this radio station. Sheriff Cronister falsely claims that I was discredited as a state witness. This is completely false. I was never discredited as a witness. Cronister claims that I'm a Democratic plant. That's ridiculous. Cronister is a lifelong Democrat who's heavily donated to the Democratic Party, including President Barack Obama. Vote Charles Boswell on August 18th. I'm Charles Boswell, and I approve this message. Paid for by Charles Boswell, Republican for Sheriff. The Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. I would add to that small towns, like Murfreesboro, Tennessee, where World Outreach Church is based. Over the last 10 years, that church has grown to 15,000 members, pastored by Alan Jackson. You can listen to Pastor Jackson weekday mornings at 8 here on Faith Talk. And as Bill Bunkley takes a day off, we're going to share some of Pastor Jackson's preaching with you next here on Faith Talk. The following is sponsored by Alan Jackson Ministries. For joining Alan Jackson Ministries. Being a Christ follower does not eliminate stress from your life or strain from your life or problems from your life. Evil touches all of us. But being a Christ follower gives us a response that's different from the people that stand apart from the kingdom of God. There's always going to be stairs to climb. Life's just difficult. Settle it. Life isn't fair. We won't, we won't see justice in its fullness until we're on the other side of this equation. And we've got to make a little peace with that. Alan Jackson Ministries believes the church is an initiative of Jesus, and we intend to get behind that initiative in any way possible. Messages like what you're about to hear aren't just broadcast through radio and television. They're also available as podcasts and streamed online globally. It's all funded through supporters who believe in the mission. Together, our goal is to help individuals become more fully devoted followers of Christ and to lead with their faith in every arena. Search Alan Jackson Ministries to learn more. Before we get to today's message, here's Pastor Alan to tell you about his book called Freedom from Worry. You know, Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 6, half a dozen times, do not worry. Jesus said to you and me, don't worry. I think worry is the intramural sport and activity of church folks. We don't call it worry. We say, I have a burden. I have a concern. I have a prayer request. I want to share something the Lord's put on my heart. But in so many occasions, we're just bundling worry up into some church-appropriate language. Jesus said not to do it. So what's the question? What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do about it? Well, I'm sure you're shocked. I've written a book. 
And it's about freedom from worry so that our lives don't have to be defined by anxiety and fear and worry. You need to know how to offload that stuff so the peace of God and the joy of the Lord and your faith can flourish without being choked by worry. You know, the old English word for worry worry literally meant to be choked. And that's what it'll do to your life. But the Spirit of God will give you fresh air, fresh breath, and a fresh future. Enjoy the book. I believe it'll be a strength to you in this season. When donating today, you'll receive freedom from worry as our way of saying thank you. So give today by calling 1-855-577-2255. That's 1-855-577-2255. Or you can go online to alanjackson.com and give today. We're so glad you're here to listen. Today's message from Pastor Allen is from his sermon series called When You're Tired and Uncertain. All right, our topic for the week is how to be strong and courageous when you're tired and uncertain. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of this. I've had enough, and if having enough and being tired of it make it go away, we'd be gone. But we're not finished yet, and I don't think it's going away for a while. So it seems to me that it's really important to understand how to to continue to walk in strength and courage, even when you get a little tired. And it's there's the truth is not immediate as apparent as you would like it to be. We live in a season of almost unprecedented deception. In fact, most of the messaging that comes at us feels more like propaganda than it does messaging. People with an agenda telling you the portions of the truth to try to get a behavior from you that they're trying to elicit. They're not really trying to communicate the truth. So to how to know to walk with strength and courage through those seasons becomes really critical. And this is a pretty practical little talk tonight. I really just built this out of my own responses and my own prayers and my own kind of my, my own personal guidelines, how we're going to walk through these shadows because we're coming through. We're not staying here. We have, I believe the church will come through this, both our congregation and the larger church will come through this, strengthened with a greater revelation of the Lord, better prepared to meet the purposes of the kingdom than at any time in my lifetime. What the devil meant to diminish us, God will use to prepare us for the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. He's awakening us to new tools and opening new doors. He's sharpening us, but how do we walk through these shadows? In my head, they're just travel tips. Normally this time of year, I'm bundling up a group of people to take on a tour to Israel. And obviously we didn't do that this year, but typically before we travel, we'll get together and I'll make some suggestions based on having made that trip a few times, how to pack, what to take, what kind of clothing, what kind of shoes, what the food will be like, just so that it's not all completely new to you. So what I really want to share with you is some travel tips for walking through the shadows. And the first, and they're not really arranged in order of significance, but the the first one I would submit is we want to begin with today. When you're walking through a season of uncertainty and you're a little bit tired, it's very important to keep your focus and your attention on today. Now, I'm a planner. I like a plan. It's okay with me to know what's going to happen 90 days from now. I would have told you in January of this year that you could awaken me from a dead sleep, tell me what week in the year it was, and I could tell you the to-do list for most of the people on my team. I like a plan. One of the things I've learned in this season is my plan doesn't reach past about the next 30 minutes. I plan to finish this talk, and I hope and tend to do it before it rains. But if it rains, we'll just finish in the rain. That's my planning expertise in this season. 
And then you can, you can borrow things from ahead of you, but it won't help. Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. We've got to be able to say, God, I trust you for today. Now, for some of us, that's going to take some significant rewiring because there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of unsettling ideas. There's a lot of things that feel like threats because you can't see with clarity as far forward as you would like to as you're in the path, the habit of seeing. But we're going to learn to say, Lord, I will trust you for today and I can rest in that. After all, we're not promised tomorrow. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us this principle. You've prayed the prayer thousands of times. I'm quite confident. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. You've been praying it forever. And then we work to get all the bread we'll ever need and lock it up someplace. We can walk over and look at it every day. And when God gives us our daily provision, he said, peace. So I want to start with that invitation. Make peace with today. Allow yourself to be delivered from the tyranny of what if and if only. They are awful taskmasters. And again, I like a plan. I'm not trying to suggest that you be sloppy. But when God brought his people out of hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, and he said, I will be your physician. I'll see that none of the diseases on the Egyptians come upon you. I'll, I'll meet every need that you have. He gave them bread one day at a time. He could have just as easily had a huge bread loaf hover above them for shade in the desert. But he gave them daily provision. They'd go out and collect what they needed for the day, except when they were collecting enough for the Sabbath. They got a two-day portion on that day. And God knew how to remember when the Sabbath was. God knows how to care for his people. So I'm going to ask you if you're willing to unload. Some of you are sitting here with a lot of anxiety. What's going to happen in two weeks? Who knows? And if somebody tells you they do, I don't trust them. So determine to lay that down. It will rob you of what God would do through your life because you're choked you're suffocating with the frustration and the anxiety. The, the second travel tip for walking through this season is to be clean. To be clean. A lot of emphasis lately on how to stay clean, social distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, don't touch your face, put your left foot in. I don't mean to make light of it. It's serious. There's a serious virus, and it's affected millions of people around the world, hundreds of millions of people. But we know a lot about how to maintain our physical health and well-being that we didn't give thought to three or four months ago. It's even more important. It's more important to know how to be clean spiritually. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Looking forward to the return of the king. He's not writing to pagans and the wicked and the immoral and saying you need to clean up your act. He's writing to the church and says we're looking forward to the return of the king and you need to make every effort to be spotless when he comes back. See, one of the things that we've been addressing service after service is a willingness to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be different. I want to change. 
I believe the reason we're in this predicament is more about the hearts of the people of God than it is about the hearts of anybody else on planet Earth. That if we can manage to align our hearts with the purposes of God, he'll make a pathway of deliverance that the whole world will benefit from. So I want to invite you away from this notion that somebody else needs to change and to begin to say to the Lord, Lord, I would like to be more clean before you than I have ever been. No excuses, no justification. I'm not submitting to you that you're committing some gross sin, some egregious transgression of a fundamental moral boundary with the Lord, but I am suggesting that every one of us could benefit by yielding our lives more fully to the Lord. And an attitude of submission to him, of yielding to him. Is there any place where I have a priority, an attitude, a habit, a behavior, something I'm striving for that I could reposition and be more pleasing to you? I want to be clean. I want to be as close to spotless as I'm capable of being. Come on now, I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. You need to know how to stay clean. Then you need to know how to wash up. Because the truth is, we're all going to get some dirt. Sometimes we get splashed from others we're standing too close to. Sometimes we walk right into the middle of the water puddle and we jump up and down. We got to know how to be clean. We got to know how to clean up. We've had lessons lately in how to wash your hands. Who knew adults had to have lessons in how to wash their hands? But we've been getting those, haven't we? Wash the backs, wash the palms, get the water warm. Soap up and lather really good. Don't forget your thumbs. You want to learn how to wash your hands. There's consequences these days. You need to know how to be clean spiritually. You need to know what repentance means. You need to understand that it's a tool that needs to be engaged in the lives of the most mature Christ followers and not just the beginners. We need to understand the authority of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us, but not to live presumptively and treat it shabbily because there's a dire consequence for that. We need to know how to stay out of the mud, and we need to know how to get clean. Isaiah 1 and verse 18, God said, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. And though they're as red as crimson, they'll be like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. There's a benefit to staying clean. to Alan Jackson Ministries. Pastor Alan will be right back in a minute to continue his message. Jesus told us not to worry and offered us his peace, yet many Christians still wrestle with anxiety every day. In Pastor Alan's book, Freedom from Worry, you'll gain a new perspective of who God is and recognize his provision for your life. So when donating today, you'll receive freedom from worry as our way of saying thank you. We hope you'll be encouraged to find the peace of God to guard your heart and mind. So request freedom from worry today when you give by calling 1-855-577-2255. That's 1-855-577-2255 or by visiting alanjackson.com. Thank you for supporting the Alan Jackson Ministries broadcast. Together, we're making a difference. Now let's get back to Pastor Allen with his message from the sermon series called When You're Tired and Uncertain. 
third one tip I would give you has to do with what you can and what you can't. You got to live with some awareness of what you can do and what you can't do. And you'll have to give some thought and some effort and some reflection to understanding the difference. Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking in verse 27. He said, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? It's a lengthy discourse. Jesus is talking about worrying in all the primary context of our life. And he said, listen, you can't extend your life a moment. So why do you worry about it? And there's, we're going to have to have the discernment and the wisdom and the discipline to say, there are some things that I simply can't do. So for me to pick them up is useless. Now, the alternative is to understand what I can do, what my assignments might be. In Isaiah 37, there's a story. There's a, the, a foreign army is, is marched towards Jerusalem, the Assyrian army. And the, the, the Israelites are badly outnumbered. They have no hope of victory based on military might or technology or resources available to them. Their defeat is a certainty. So the prophet Isaiah comes to the king Hezekiah. Here's the message. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, because you've prayed to me concerning the king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. And God says through Isaiah the prophet, he comes to the king and says, because you prayed, I'll put a hook in his jaw and take him home the way he came. The implication is clear that if Hezekiah had failed to pray, God wasn't intervening. Do you have the imagination that your prayers are so significant that if you fail to offer them, the door of possibility stays closed? When we're walking through difficult seasons, you want to stay conscious on a daily basis, a thoughtful basis, an intentional basis of what you can do and what you can't. There is a God and it's not us. So there's no need in pretending we are God. We have to know the one who has the power and the authority to deliver us. The only person you and I can change is ourselves. So me getting heated up about you and trying to change you is not fruitful. But I can go get that ornery person looking at me in the mirror and say, you and I are going to talk. Because some change has to come in order for God's deliverance to be made evident. And the only one I've got any real influence is over you. So you and I are going to do some business. We get way heated up about other people and what they need to do and what they should be doing. We spend time in anger and resentment and bitterness and all sorts of things. Don't surrender your thoughts and your emotions to things that you can't change. It is fruitless. And it neutralizes you. It takes you away from what you can do. It nullifies your prayer life. If you're angry and frustrated and hostile, you can't give thanks to the Lord. You can't worship him. You've been neutralized. Don't give yourself that emotional luxury. If we're going to get better outcomes, we're going to have to submit ourselves to the Lord more completely. Do what you can do. You can pray. You can repent. You can serve. You can vote. You can be kind. You can change. There's a myriad of things we can do. We are not powerless. God responds to the attitudes and the, the prayers of his people. Number four, maintain your spiritual perspective. Now, this one's not simple. Maintaining a spiritual perspective. There's a limited number of outlets to help you with this. Most of the messaging you're going to get is going to focus you on um, temporary things. 
And to maintain a spiritual perspective, you, you've got to have an awareness that there's another set of values, that there's another realm of existence, that there's another set of forces in play beyond those that, that we can test in a laboratory or that we can evaluate with an economic formula or that can be pushed through a political equation. There's another realm of existence. We did the Gospel of John last week, and John talks to us in chapter after chapter after chapter about our life in time and our life beyond time. And when you're walking through a shadowed place, when you're having to demonstrate strength and courage, when you feel weak and there's a lot of uncertainty, we've got to have an awareness of spiritual things. And we've got to have a way of maintaining spiritual perspective. One of the most valuable components of that is being in community. You need to be in the presence of other people that share your perspectives. I don't mean you agree on every point of theology or on the interpretation of every Bible verse, but that you agree there is a God and that Jesus is his son and that prayers make a difference. And they'll encourage you that the word of God is authoritative and descriptive of your life and your future. We need the strength that comes from that. No political party is going to fix this problem. Number five, if we're going to walk in strength when you're tired, you've got to understand nourishment. You've got to understand fuel. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What nourishes me, what fuels my life is to do the will of the one who sent me. Jesus said something similar in Matthew 4. It's the series of temptations. After a lengthy fast, the devil approaches him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus' response is, Man doesn't live on bread alone, but at every word that comes from the mouth of God. We've got to understand what nourishes us spiritually. You've got some sense of that physically. You've got, we've got to learn how we maintain our spiritual strength. Accept responsibility for your own nutrition spiritually. Don't blame the cook if you're fat. Well, it's a common habit. If we get a little fluffy, it's because McDonald's put too many grams of fat in their food. It also might be because I had three quarter pounders with cheese. But it's easier to blame the cook. And, and we've got a little bit of that mentality in our spiritual lives. If you're hungry, don't blame the one serving the food. Find a way to get more nutrition. And if spiritually, you think spiritual nutrition is for your pleasure and your entertainment, you, you will not be spiritually healthy. We've got to understand what nourishes us and gives strength to us. And you and I want to keep our hearts open enough to the Lord that we can have, God can continue, to, if we're listening, that he'll continue to adjust how we know him, how we understand him, that we can grow, we can know him in new ways to bring new strength to us, to bring greater victories to us. Because things around us are changing and the responses of last week aren't adequate. And we're listening. Are you willing to listen to the Lord in new ways? I believe you are. The responses of the earlier seasons of our life are not adequate for what we face today. Learning is going to be required. And finally, I'd submit to you as we walk through these seasons of change and uncertainty, we've got to learn which doors to choose. Now, there, there's some myths that have to get exposed because the truth is there are no easy choices. 
Being a Christ follower does not eliminate stress from your life or strain from your life or problems from your life. Evil touches all of us. But being a Christ follower gives us a response that's different from the people that stand apart from the the kingdom of God. There's always going to be stairs to climb. Life's just difficult. Settle it. Some of you are still mad at God. Something happened to me and it wasn't fair. Folks, life isn't fair. We won't, we won't see justice in its fullness until we're on the other side of this equation. And we've got to make a little peace with that because we can be taken completely out of our stride, our momentum, completely disrupted. When something happens to us, we go, well, that's not fair and that's not right. And okay, I'm disappointed. Uh-huh. I'm not making light of it, and I don't mean to belittle it. It can break your heart, but God can heal your broken heart. So one of the things we've got to understand is we make these, you didn't choose wrongly. You didn't fail God because the choice you made didn't make everything easy. And the second door component I would hand you, and I really am done, has to do with this great search. Make the commitment to be a God learner. It may be the most single, most important decision you can make as a person. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 20 says, Wisdom calls aloud in the street, and she raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out, and in the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. That God's wisdom, the Spirit of God, is crying out in the earth, inviting men and women to choose Him. I mean, we spend so much time scouring the internet and listening to whatever sources you listen to for information and updates and what's happening and what are the markets going to do or whatever you're interested in, what's going to happen with that. If if we will adjust our hearts and say, God, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to read your word. I'm going to take time. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to begin to reprogram what dominates my heart and my emotions. I want to know you better. Before we go, here's Pastor Allen to tell you about his book. It's called Freedom from Worry. Hey, it's Pastor Allen. You know, we are walking through a season of unprecedented disruption. I think it's the greatest threat to our stability as a nation in my lifetime. And it came unexpectedly, and it was presented in a package that we didn't understand. And we're still sorting out what to do with that. Well, there have been a lot of unintended consequences and outcomes, and one has been an avalanche of anxiety and fear and worry. And it's as true within the body of Christ as it is without. But we've got a resource that I think will help. I I collected some work I had done and put it in a book on freedom from worry. There are some things that if you didn't have faith in God, that would bring anxiety to you. But Jesus said we can cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for us. We don't have to lead lives that are bent over with fear and worry and confusion and anxiety. If you'll take the time to read this book, meditate on it, let the Spirit of God help you give it application. It'll bring freedom to your life from anxiety. Hope you enjoy it, and God bless you. When donating today, you'll receive Freedom From Worry as our way of saying thank you. So give today by calling 1-855-577-2255. That's 1-855-577-2255. Or you can go online to alanjackson.com and give today. That's all for today on Alan Jackson Ministries. 
Thanks for listening. Tune in next time for another encouraging message. The preceding is sponsored by Alan Jackson Ministries and is pre-recorded. As Donald Trump says, You're fired. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. You're fired. Now Boswell is suing your sheriff's office. You're fired. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. You're fired. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. You're fired. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Sheriff Cronister puts criminals behind bars and has dropped crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell. You're fired. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. Take Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910 with you wherever you go. Using our mobile app, letstalkfaith.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. While the factories were slowing production and dealerships were running out of inventory, Moss Nissan and Moss Acura went on a buying spree. Now with over 1,000 new and pre-owned vehicles to choose from, Moss has one of the largest selections in the state. Before you buy elsewhere, see Moss. They'll have the vehicle you want that the other guys might not. Their goal is never to lose your business over price, with many favorable finance programs, including 0% loans with approved credit. And Moss Nissan Crystal River just received Nissan's prestigious Award of Excellence. Great job, guys. Searching for a new improved service experience? Moss service departments handle all makes and models. Moss Nissan and Acura's You Serve, You Save program, applying to vets, first responders, and active military, now includes pastors and church workers. The choice is simple. The choice is clear. The choice is here. Moss Nissan and Acura, Newport Ritchie, Crystal River, and now Florida Avenue in Tampa at mossacura.com and mossnissan.com. For more than 20 years, investigative filmmaker Tim Mahoney has traveled the globe for evidence of some of the Old Testament's most miraculous events. Now, with the Red Sea Miracle Part 2, journey to Egypt and beyond as Tim interviews the world's foremost experts to discover the truth. The results are faith-affirming and fascinating. You must see Patterns of Evidence, the Red Sea Miracle Part 2. To see this powerful documentary and others in the series, go to SalemNow.com and use the promo code TAMPA for 20% off. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com, a service of the Salem Media Group. With America opening up, maybe you're back to the daily commute or hitting the road for vacation. Take a minute, look for cracks or chips in your windshield, and call Auto Glass America. They replaced my windshield twice now, once at my office, once at my home. I trust these guys. If you drive a luxury import, forget about the expensive dealer. With comprehensive insurance, Auto Glass America will install a free windshield and give $100 in cash guaranteed when you mention my name, Mike Gallagher. Call 813-96-GLASS. 813-96-GLASS. For Auto Glass America, tell them Mike Gallagher sent you. 
Sure. We have a real problem in Congress right now. Nothing is getting done. I'm Christine Quinn, and I'm running for U.S. Congress in the 14th District. Since Kathy Castor has been in office for the last 13 and a half years, she has only brought two bills to the floor that have actually passed. Those two bills were to rename post offices. I think we could have done a better job with the $2 million that we paid Kathy over the last 13 years than renaming post offices. We need a Congress that's going to support the President of the United States of America. We need to have law and order reestablished in America. We can no longer allow chaos burning down of our cities. It must stop. As your Congresswoman, I will lay it out for you what's really happening. Get out and vote for me on August 18th. I'm Christine Quinn, and I approve this message. Learn more and donate at winquinn.com. Paid for by Christine Quinn, Republican for Congress. Today, there's nothing more important than the truth. Republicans need to know the truth about the candidates for sheriff. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell is attacking your sheriff's office on this radio station. Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. Now he's suing your sheriff's office. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. The truth is, Sheriff Chad Cronister has put criminals behind bars, dropping crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving over $40 million by eliminating wasteful spending. Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. Thanks for listening to Faith Talk. This afternoon, Bill Bunkley is taking a break. During this 4 o'clock hour, we thought we'd share with you some godly counsel and advice from Dr. Gary Roy. He's the senior pastor of Colonial Oaks Baptist Church in Sarasota and the host of Faith Answers, Saturday afternoons from noon to 1 here on Faith Talk 570 and 910. The world is a confusing place. Bad people prosper as well as good. Bad things happen to good people. People of other faiths often seem more Christian than Christians. Are they going to heaven? Are you? Does God know you? Care about you? Hear your prayers? Is the Bible true? Why doesn't everyone believe in God? Welcome to Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy, pastor of Colonial Oaks Baptist Church in Sarasota, online at mycobc.com. And now, here's Pastor Gary. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to Faith Answers. I'm Pastor Gary, along with my co-host, Lindy, and we're talking today about something's missing. Oh, dear friend, when it comes to the spiritual things of life, we need to have all the pieces in place and nothing needs to be missing. But we come across a text here in Mark chapter 10 about a young man who pretty much had everything in order except one important part, and that was his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you tuned in today because we're going to talk about this something's missing. I remember years ago there was an evangelistic crusade that was out, uh, I I believe, by Billy Graham, and the title of it was, I Found It. I Found It. I don't know if you remember that. It's been a long, long time ago. 
And uh, I used to ask that question, what did they find? Well, guess what? We're going to look into the scriptures today and discover what was found. And the best part of that is it's not that I found anything. It's just that God found me. So looking at this today in Mark chapter 10, I'm going to be reading from verses 17 through 22 in our text today. And wow, this is really powerful. So I hope you're able to just listen carefully and really uh, take in what God has to say today. Now, verse number 17 says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Boy, that's what a lot of people are asking these days. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Oh, how ironic. This is God speaking here. Verse 19, you know the commandments, Jesus says. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, All these things I have kept from my youth. Oh, my. Then Jesus says, looking at him, loved him. Uh, Notice this. Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Oh, this is about the rich young ruler. And dear friend, what a lesson that is here today. So listen carefully, but let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God that is rich and powerful and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that, God, we can learn so much through your word today. And I thank you, Lord, for this story about the rich young ruler, as there are many in the world today in this very condition, as I look back at my own life being in that condition. So, Father, I want to thank you for the truth. Yes, there are answers here that you give us, and you point us in the right direction. So, Lord, as we listen to your word today, speak to our hearts. Help us to understand And then, Lord, receive this blessing that you have for us today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the rich young ruler, he seemed to have it all together, didn't he? Well, he came out to the the teacher. And by the way, he said, you know, what shall I do uh, to inherit eternal life? You know, this is interesting about many people in the religious world today. Now, I want to say this kindly, but I want to be very clear that religion cannot save you, dear friend. There's only one person that can save your soul, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. However, many people become religious in order to kind of clean up their own act. And I played that game for several years before I got saved. I tried to be religious. I wasn't even a good candidate for that because I made such a mess out of that. But I will say this. Uh, you know, I thought it was religion that saved you. I thought if you just go to church on Sunday, if you, you know, said certain prayers or you read your Bible or whatever it was, 
then God would say, good boy, I'm going to just let you come on in. Well, I was wrong. And this is where the rich young ruler gets it kind of out of order. First of all, if something's missing, could we say it is religion? Well, people are looking. Now, many believe about God, but listen to what Jesus uh, encountered here. Listen to this rich young ruler's words. In Mark 10, 17, now he, as, as this wonderful man, by the way, was going out on the road, uh, he came running and he knelt before Jesus and he asked him, good teacher, listen, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? There's a lot of people out in the world today, and I hope as you're listening today, uh, this may not be in your case, but it could be. Uh, You're looking for things to do that will please God. Now, I know this uh, firsthand. I know this because I tried that route before I was born again. There's not anything that you can do that's going to inherit eternal life. By the way, the Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we do, uh, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. And so when we look at this text today, uh, many people are seeking the way to heaven through doing good things. That's called religion. And if we try religion uh, as far as getting there, uh, many people, and there are many religions that teach this, you just do it our way and you'll get to heaven and all this kind of thing. Uh, God has a different take on this. Now, I, I, again, I, I thank God for religious people because they make great neighbors, okay? Um, if they're a religious person, they're probably going to be a good person. But that does not give us eternal life. What are we looking for here? We're, something's missing. And if we're going to find it, we're going to find it in the truth of the Word of God. So is it religion? Well, many are looking in that direction. Some will say, well, I, I guess I'll go to, uh, go to heaven because I go to church every Sunday. You know, I encountered once something once a long, long time ago. And, you know, I honestly, I feel bad when someone comes up and I was at a funeral. Uh, I was doing a service. And I did not know the individual. I was invited there because they needed a preacher. And so when I began to inquire about the person who had died, I wanted to find out, were they a believer in Jesus Christ? Well, this gentleman was standing there, and I I asked him, I said, "Uh, was this lady a a born-again Christian? Oh, he said, oh, yeah, she'll go to heaven. She's in heaven right now. And I said, well, how do you know that? Well, she put flowers in the church every Sunday. Now, I hope that was just part of her life. I, I never did get an answer whether she was born again. Maybe she was. I, I'm looking forward to meeting her. But the point of the matter is just putting flowers in the church every Sunday is not going to get you to heaven, folks. It's a nice thing to do. You know, I, I, I think it's wonderful. But if you're looking at that to get you to heaven, uh, that's not going to get you there. So what is this thing about religion? I'm looking. People are looking for God somewhere. What shall I do? Well, give me the list. (laughs) This is where the legalists come in, and they say, well, if you just do this, 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 and this, well, God will say you're a good person. Come on into heaven. No, it does not work that way. So this rich young ruler started out with the first thing, and that was religion. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Uh, And many people believe about God but they're not saved. Friend, I can tell you this. Uh, there's. I heard a preacher say one time, 
There's 18 inches between heaven and hell, and that's between your mind and your heart. you got to believe these things in your heart and not your mind, and the heart gets changed. You repent. You turn around, and that's by being born again into the family of God. Now, is it religion? No. Okay? Is it good works? <laughs> Something's missing. Is it good works? I'm trying, right? Well, notice this. He says in verse 19, you know the commandments, Jesus says, uh, do, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, uh, honor your father and your mother. And the, and the rich young ruler says, you know what, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And I guess he patted himself on the back at that particular per, uh, point. And uh, it's like many who say, well, I'm a good person, you know. Uh, I'm better than my neighbor, you know, what my neighbor does and all that kind of thing. You know what? That has nothing to do with it at all. And good works may be good for society. I'm glad we have people who live in our world that do good things. And But, but the problem here is we're talking about getting into heaven and inheriting eternal life. It's not about getting a, a good neighbor award. It's about being saved. And you can follow the rules all day long and keep all these commandments and be a good person and still not get to heaven. Something's missing. Something's missing. I've kept all these things from my youth, he said. I'm, I'm a good guy. Well, that's great. But that's not what's going to get you saved. Now, is it a relationship? Ah, bingo. Now we're getting into the difference between religion, good works, and having a relationship with God. And let me remind you, that is the only way that you're ever going to know what eternal life is all about. Listen to what the scriptures say in verses 21 and 22. Now, Jesus comes back, and Jesus, looking at him, notice what he says, loved him. He loved him. He said this to him in a loving way. He wasn't pointing his finger in his face and chiding him, he was saying this with love. He says to him, one thing you lack. And I can imagine the look on that rich young ruler's face is like, what? Is it another commandment? No, he says, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, he didn't say your soul was going to be in heaven, but you'll have treasure in heaven. And then he says, and come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, I want to zero in on that part of it because a lot of people say, well, if I just go down to the bank and empty out my bank accounts and give it all to the poor, then I'm going to get to heaven. No, sir, you will not. And I've known people that try to buy their way into heaven. Uh, They tried to give money to the church or whatever and say, you know, put in a good word for me so when when I die, I go to heaven. You can't get there like that. And so we we look at the, the text here, but it was about his heart, and it was about surrender, and it was about this relationship of I need help, and I, 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 listen, I'll give up everything in the world to accept Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those other things will be added unto you. But the point comes to this. Listen carefully. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. You see, being a believer is following Jesus. It is all of this with 
our life. God isn't saying go down to your bank and empty your accounts and give it all to the poor so that you can be saved. He's saying where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And if your treasure's in heaven, if your if everything is pointed into the priority of heaven and the kingdom of God, then the things of this earth will not make any difference. And that's what taking up the cross and following Jesus is all about. I hope you get this point today because this rich young ruler didn't. He was sad at this word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, he was more concerned about his great possessions than about where his soul was going to be when he died. And folks, there are a lot of people like that today. They're worried about their status. They're worried about their bank account. And by the way, did you notice uh, how people today are kind of looking at things in a different light? You know, with all of the coronavirus and shutdowns and everything else, some people are just going stark raving mad because of what's going on. Some are so fearful they won't leave the house. And, And folks, I want to say this because... You know, we there are things we cannot control in this world. You know, I used to hear the terminology, someone would say, two things I must do, uh, die and pay taxes. Well, uh, surely uh, the death thing is true, but that's kind of like very lightly put. I think we not, we need to remember something about if we're going to get into heaven, if we're going to have eternal life, like this young man was asking, what may how I may inherit eternal life. Well, the only way we're going to inherit it is through the salvation that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take up the cross and follow me. Now, have you ever come to that point in your life where you say, I need help. I can't do this on my own. Um, And then when you came to the Lord, I remember this when I got saved. uh, And I remember that that, uh, slogan that was given at the Billy Graham crusade. I found it. Okay, I found it. Well, first of all, I I looked at that one day and I thought, well, I didn't actually find it. It was God who found me. And, you know, God wasn't lost. Um, I was lost. But I understand the concept here. But you woke up one day and say, I finally got it. All right. And here's the issue that I think is laying out here for us about entering the kingdom of God. You know, there's coming a time when everyone is going to die. And after death, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Everybody's going to live beyond the grave. You will not cease to exist when you die, whether you're saved or whether you're lost. You're going to continue on, dear friend, in a, a spiritual state. And there's only one way to get into the to heaven through what we call being born again. If you're not saved, you will not see the kingdom of God and you will end up in hell. Now, that's the Bible. I can't change that. I can't water that down. That's exactly what God said. Jesus made the comment, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, God did something to keep you out of hell. He he doesn't want you to go there. He went through the process of becoming man Uh, the Son of God, to die in your place on the cross, as we'll talk about later on, lifting the curse through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you look at what he went through, that, my dear friend, is love for lost sinners, people who 
have cursed God. People have turned their back on God. People who have blasphemed God. Jesus went to the cross. And but what we what must we do to be saved? Receive that gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Well, if the rich young ruler had gotten the point about what Jesus said, come, take up the cross, and follow me, he would have gotten his mind off of his riches. And I can imagine this is the way the world is today. They're not seeing the message. What they're hearing about are the rules and the regulations and all this of the law. Friend, the law cannot save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ can do that. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Okay. All right. Now, uh, we're getting down to some time here on our first segment. But uh, before we break, uh, we're going to go to uh, our announcement time about what's happening at uh, Colonial Oaks Baptist Church right here in Sarasota, Florida. So I'm going to turn that time over right now to my co-host, Lindy. And she's going to tell us what's happening. So, Lindy, take it away. (laughs) Thanks, Pastor. Sure enough. Okay. Well, first, why don't you grab a pen and maybe a piece of paper (laughs) so you can take some notes if you like to. Okay. We are still very excited that we are opening our doors every Sunday morning. And uh, our worship service, as usual, is at 1030 in the morning on Sundays. Uh, All other activities and meetings will remain canceled until further notice. But also, please note that we will be observing social distancing. Now, where can you meet with us on Sunday mornings? Our location is the same as always. Our building is located at 6901 Bee Ridge Road here in beautiful Sarasota, Florida. Oh, it is gorgeous here. And I hope it's gorgeous where you are. Now, if you have more, uh, if you have questions or you want more information, please call our church office at 941 377 2737. And hey, if you're unable to join us in person at the church on Sunday morning, you can watch our simultaneous broadcast on Facebook at the same time. Just go to Facebook and in the search bar, type in COBC Live. That's two words. The COBC stands for Colonial Oaks Baptist Church. And then the word live is like you're alive. C O B C L I V E. Now that's ten thirty on Sundays. Why don't you, if you're at home and you're doing this on your computer, why don't you, you know, get all set up there? Maybe about ten uh, twenty-seven, ten twenty-eight. So you're all set. Okay. Hey, <clears throat> excuse me. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Faith Answers Radio, an outreach ministry of Colonial Oaks Baptist Church here in gorgeous Sarasota, Florida. And Faith Answers is here because. You have questions, and God has answers. And our website, if you want to learn more about us, is mycobc.com. That's M-Y-C-O-B-C.com. Now, where and when can you listen to Faith Answers? Well, every weekend on Saturday and Sunday. On Saturday, tune in at 12 noon. And on Sunday, tune in at 12, excuse me, 2 p.m. Sunday afternoon. And you can hear Faith Answers from anywhere in the entire world. Just go online and go to Let's Talk Faith, all one word, Let's Talk Faith.com from Salem Media Group. And if you're local in the Tampa Bay, Sarasota area, you can uh, tune into the radio station WTBN Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. 
If you have a smartphone, just download the app, Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. On a smart speaker, just say Enable Faith Talk Tampa. That's every weekend on Saturdays at 12 noon and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. All right. Hey, if you're an early riser, we do, um, we're broadcast three on three separate stations at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and they are as follows. WLSS AM 930, the answer, and WLSS FM 103.1, and the last one is FM 93.7. That's 6 o'clock every Sunday morning for the early risers. Okay, and... Have we heard from you? Well, if not, why don't you send us an email? The email is PastorGaryCOBC at Comcast.net. PastorGaryCOBC at Comcast.net. Now, why would you want to email? Well, maybe you have a question. Maybe you just want to say, hey, I'm here. I'm listening to you. Uh, Maybe you have a prayer need. We love to pray for you, and our prayer team is intact and full force so we love to pray for you mighty prayer warriors waiting to hear from you so just email pastor gary cobc at comcast.net and if you don't have any prayer needs or questions just say hey i'm listening to you (laughs) all righty thanks so much we hope to hear from you back to you pastor oh thank you lindy yeah yeah let us hear from you Hey, listen, before we break at the bottom of the hour, um, you remember the band U2? Uh, they're still out there, you know, and Bono and all that. They they wrote a song called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Now, that's, it was a famous song, very popular song. But let me read a couple lyrics here before I break, uh, just part of the lyrics. And uh, toward the end of the song, he said, uh, he wrote, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors bleed into one, bleed into one. Yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know, I believe it. Then he says, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We are going to talk about this more in our second half. And if you're still looking we hope you find it today. We're going we're gonna to reveal it to you so that you will know that you have found what you're looking for. All right, we're going to break now at the bottom of the hour for station break and news. Uh, don't go away because it's going to get exciting in our second half, and uh, we want you to be there. So stick around, dear friend. Don't go away because we're going to be right back. You're listening to Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy, pastor of Colonial Oaks Baptist Church in Sarasota. To learn more, call 941-377-2737. We'll be back with more Faith Answers in a moment on Faith Talk 570 and 910. As Donald Trump says, You're fired. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. You're fired. Now Boswell is suing your sheriff's office. You're fired. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. You're fired. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. You're fired. 
The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Sheriff Cronister puts criminals behind bars and has dropped crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell. You're fired. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. Take Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910 with you wherever you go. Using our mobile app, letstalkfaith.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. The citizens of Hillsborough County have had enough of a corrupt, incompetent sheriff's office. Citizens have witnessed arrest of pastors, incompetent handling of protesters, and the accidental release of inmates who have gone on to allegedly commit murder. I'm Charles Boswell, and I served over 25 years as a lawman, and I retired from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office in good standing, not fired, as falsely asserted by my opponent, Chad Cronister. I served as a master detective in the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office Criminal Investigation Division. I put away the most violent of offenders. These are things that my opponent, Chad Cronister, has never done. I am a lawman. I'm a lifelong conservative Republican. I will bring back accountability. I'm pro-Second Amendment, I'm pro-First Amendment, and I'm a defender of religious freedom. I am endorsed by the United Christians of Florida. Together, we can all make Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office great again. Do your fact-checking. Visit my website, votecharlesboswell.com. I'm Charles Boswell, and I approve this message. Paid for by Charles Boswell, Republican for Sheriff. Cornerstone is an essential service working to meet the needs of homeowners during this difficult time by following all CDC guidelines and taking extra protective steps on site. When you call Cornerstone Pros to service your AC, plumbing, electrical, or generator, rest assured that with Cornerstone, trust is a must. Learn more at cornerstonepros.com. For service like it ought to be, fair, fast, and friendly, call Cornerstone Pros. Thanks for listening to Faith Talk. This afternoon, Bill Bunkley is taking a break. During this 4 o'clock hour, we thought we'd share with you some godly counsel and advice from Dr. Gary Roy. He's the senior pastor of Colonial Oaks Baptist Church in Sarasota and the host of Faith Answers, Saturday afternoons from noon to 1 here on Faith Talk 570 and 910. Welcome back to Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy on Faith Talk 570 and 910. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Here's your host, Pastor Gary Roy. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Oh, man, there's a lot in that verse today, and we're talking about something's missing. Have you found it? Well, the Lord finds you, dear friend, and that's what we've been talking about in our first half. And I want to welcome you back to Faith Answers. And uh, on behalf of Lindy Rosenbaum and myself, we're so glad you tune in and listen to our broadcast. And so uh, we're going to get right back into our study today. It's uh, It's quite an interesting subject today about something being missing. Now, you know, when I left off, I shared with you the song by Bono and by U2, Uh, called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. You know what's interesting about that is there are a lot of people today, right now, that still haven't found what they're looking for. Some people think they've found what they're looking for, and then it comes up empty. But man, I'll tell you this, when God gives you what you need, 
And by the way, he will find you wherever you're at. He, he, he knows you and he'll find you. He will give you what you need to fulfill that emptiness that lies within your soul. And when you've got that, you are born again into the family of God. Wow. You've got it all. You're filled. You're fulfilled, okay? So when uh, Isaiah wrote, you know, I I seek the Lord while he may be found, well, you know what? Uh, Sometimes God will knock on your door, and it's time to say yes and let him in. All right. Well, we're talking about this subject today, Lindy, of something's missing. Uh, The rich young ruler. He had it all together, didn't he? Yeah, oh he, boy. He had the money. He had. Uh, he kept all the law. Right. He on and on down the list he went. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, but you know what? Also, not but and you know what also struck me that uh, and we'll get to this in the next verse of the third verse that how Jesus loved him and what struck me is the comparison between this rich young ruler. I don't know if he's a ruler or not, but the rich, rich young man. Yes. Uh, first, we don't know he's rich. He's just a young man that runs and, and right. He he ran. He knelt before him and asked him. So, right away, Jesus. Of course, Jesus knows our heart anyway. But this man had some um, humility. Now, unlike the Pharisees, who um, I mean, the, the Pharisees were they had worldly pride they thought they did they follow the law and they accounted that to themselves as righteousness so they thought they were righteous they were full of it and um jesus said to them you know get away from me you brood of vipers now he didn't have that heart toward this young man and i thought about that thought, well what's the difference here they both are following the law and they're trusting in the law and their obedience for their salvation but this little fellow was different. He truly had a heart. He came to Jesus. He ran and, and knelt down. He had um, uh, respect and, you know, and he thought, oh, he knew Je- he went to Jesus. He knew Jesus had all the answers. He said, what should I do? Yeah. I, I've done everything the best I could. Now what should I do? Right. You're the one that has the salvation. Whereas the Pharisees like, we don't need you. We've got it already. Yes. Get out of here, you know. And so uh, he loved him. I feel that he loved him. He had the compassion on this fellow's sincerity. No doubt about it. And you know who that reminds me of? Cornelius. Oh, yes. You know, and Cornelius was in the right place at the right. He was looking for all the right things. Yes. And then it was. And he followed God best he could. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think that's, it's, I tell this to people all the time. Come to church. Come to church. Now, I know coming to church is not going to ultimately save you, but you'll be in the right place to hear the message, if that's a Bible-believing church, to hear about Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life. I read something out of my, uh, of course, I have a, the message uh, is a uh, translation of scripture here, kind of a paraphrase, but in the message, it's kind of interesting what took place here. Uh, You know, when he, of course, the, the, the young man comes and he says, I, uh, he kept all the law from his youth and so on. And then Jesus turns around, you know, you got one thing you got to do and, you know, uh, sell all you have, give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and you can come follow me. Then listen to this. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. <laughs> and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. Right. I know personally what that is. Uh, it doesn't have to, I didn't have riches when I got saved. I was rather 
destitute, but the point was this: I was holding on to my life. Yes. And this is this As is you understood it. Oh, that's what ooh, you had to have. Yes. Wow, I knew it, yes. and I was holding on to my life. And it was that moment I had after I prayed, after I'd said, "Lord Jesus, save me." There was a moment there where the enemy came in and said, "You can't let go." And then the Holy Spirit said, "Let go." And is I it let go. Kind of like he was saying, like, "You can't make it. Don't do it because you can't. Oh, it won't, no, it won't yeah. work for you." Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you'll lose Scaring all. You. you'll lose your life oh, if you give boy. it to the Lord. That kind of thing. Wow. And so I see this as the same thing that uh, you know he 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 was not about to let go. Yeah. So of course you know uh, they go into this thing about hey the disciples are going. Oh, who can get saved? You know, right. <laughs> Jesus is basically saying it's easier easier for a camel to go through a, a needle's eye than for yeah. a rich man to get into the yeah. kingdom. And then the disciples are going, "Well, then who has any chance at all?" And here's what here's what the the message says: Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Right. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. Amen. And of course, that's the point. You got all you the chance, the word chance, but they said, what chance do they have? No chance if you if you try to pull it off by yourself. That's right. But if you let God do it, it will happen. And it's the only way it will happen. Yes. The difference between uh, following Jesus with your whole heart as if your life depended upon it, yep. him, Jesus, right, right. which of course we know it does, versus following the letter of the law. Oh. That won't get you to heaven. But following Jesus will take you direct to heaven. It's a matter of the heart. It is a matter of the heart. You know, I I don't know if this young man would talk like this. I don't know. But he he says, well, yeah, I've been perfect. I've obeyed all the laws. Am I in? Is that it? And Jesus says, no, I'm sorry. It's your heart. Yeah. You must give me your heart. Leave everything that you're depending upon. Yes. And it means what you're accustomed to. All your comforts, everything, and follow me. You know, this reminds me of something. I, um, I've, I've had a lot of uh, experience of people coming to an altar uh, when we give an invitation to come to Christ. Yeah. I remember a man one time came. Uh, he was very much under conviction. And he came rushing to the altar at the end of the service. And I, I said, uh, what can I do for you? You need prayer? Why did you come? Yeah. And he said, I've got to join the church right now. I've got to oh. join the church right now. I said, Oh, that's great. I'm glad you want to join the church right now. I said, but but why right now? He said, well, I, if I join the church today, I'll go to heaven. And I said, well, wait a minute. Let's let's get this straight. Um, you want to join the church physically here at this church so that you can go to heaven. Yes, that's what I need to do today because I might die this week. And I said, well, are you born again? I don't know. He said, I just need to join the church. I said, let's get the horse in front of the cart. <laughs> yeah. And I said, you can if you, first of all, you get saved. Then you become part of God's church. So uh, he never got it that morning. And it reminded me of another individual that came and rushed and said, I need to be baptized today. I said, great, I love baptizing people. Well, why do you need to be baptized today? I always ask the question, why do you think you need to be baptized? Great. He said, so when I get in that tank up there, all my sins will be washed away. Oh, boy. oh, dear. So, you know, this is, and I say this lovingly because people, they haven't gotten it yet. This is the same thing with this man we're talking about. He thought, what can I do? What do I do to inherit eternal life? Right. And we got to remember something. We can't 
do anything to inherit eternal life, but we can go to the one who did do it all, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen. Grace says it's done. Right. Law says do. Keep doing. Grace says it's done. Right. And the cross and the resurrection means it's done. Absolutely. I love that. And um, it's like what you do, you can do do it perfectly. Just keep doing like you're just saying. Do, do, do does not in any way create a brand new heart. No. And it's all about the heart. Exactly. The heart of Christ. Well, and that's why Romans says, with the heart, a man believes unto righteousness. Before the mouth ever makes confession. I'm afraid too many times we've had confessions from the mouth, but the heart didn't change. Right. And, and it is a growth process, but uh, yes, still, exactly. you have to have the fundamentals. Exactly. You know, the belief. But the initial part of that is my heart believed first. Yes. And if the heart believes, then everything else follows. Amen. So, yeah, should you go to church? Sure, you should go to church. If you're a Christian, you should you should get under some good fellowship with people. Yes. Uh, learn the Word of God. Uh, you know, all of those things. Uh, get baptized. Uh, take communion. Right. That's for the believer. Right. And we can't put the cart in front of the horse because if we we do all those things and think we're saved because we've done them, we, we're in the same boat as this guy right That's here. That's right. Absolutely. You know, um, I mentioned Adam Clark. He's becoming one, one of my kind of go-to guys. I really like He's a commentator. Um, he's not a bake-tater. He's a com- I'm sorry. <laughs> all kind of taters. But he's a commentator um, of, you know, long ago, but. He's very good. And I liked his little comment on this, one thing thou lackest, when Jesus said that. I love this. The way he put it, he says, and what was that? A heart disengaged from the world and complete renunciation of it, meaning the world, and its concerns. Mm. This is big, heavy duty, right? That he might become a proper and successful laborer in the Lord's vineyard. Whew. Wow. It's, it's hard. The only way that can be possibly done is with a changed heart, where Jesus gives you a new heart. You know, and Lindy, and I speak to all of our listening audience, you know, we don't strive uh, to get to that point. You can't make your heart do something. No. Nope. Um, however, God is pursuing you yes. constantly. He pursues every created human being and he's pursuing you with his love it's like a man courting a a, a bride uh he's pursuing her with his love and that's what god does for us that's why marriage is a picture of christ and the church he he is pursuing us and if we would just listen to what he says it's like a love letter that's written and then our heart begins to turn, and right. he draws us right. unto himself with his love. I hope and pray, well, this is a long time ago, but that that rich young man went away sad, but then he couldn't get it out of his mind. That's what I hope. I kind of doubt possible. it. Yeah, it's yeah. very possible. Yeah. Um, oh, I had another thought I was going to say about that, but that's okay. Well, I mean, this is... This oh, wait, is oh, go ahead. I remember. Go ahead. Go ahead. When... When we have that new heart from Christ, I know you, I love the way you say, you know, God gave you a new wanna. What happens is, let's say we've already got that new heart. We've, and it's a process of disengaging from the world and, and completely renouncing it and its concern. That's a process, a lifetime process. 
you know, we grab, we let go, but we are his. Now, um, oh, thought, don't leave me now. <laughs> when, um, the, oh, I hate it when this happens. It hasn't happened in a while. That's all right. The, the, rich, the, real, the guy went away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I know what it was. This is a pretty significant point, I think, that everything we're saying here, let's not forget that Jesus does not grab us and make us no. do anything. No. He loved this boy, yes. this young man. He loved him. He wanted so badly for him to come with all his heart. He wanted that. But the man was not ready, or I hope he did become later, but yeah. he walked away. He walked away, turned his back on Jesus, and walked away. That's and right. Jesus did not lasso him and haul him back. That's right. And that's each of ours prerogative. Amen. Uh, you know, and that's what happens to us. Yes. Well, as time moves on, <laughs> uh, what a great discussion of this uh, section of Scripture here today. And I, uh, my prayer is that you truly um, have the missing part uh, in your life, listener. Uh, the, miss the missing person is Jesus Christ, and that's who you need the most. Okay. Uh, so for our Timeless Preachers segment today, um, once again, uh, Lindy's going to share a word from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, The Curse Lifted. Uh, and uh, so, Lindy, I'm going to turn it over to you right now and share uh, our message today. Okay, Pastor. Thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to read this on the air. I, I just hope it blesses hearts like it does mine. It's, it's such a rich uh, teaching from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This particular sermon is called The Curse Removed by C.H. Spurgeon, and this is part five, which means it's the fifth week. We're going through the same sermon here. And uh, he bases this entire work on Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, which reads, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. All righty. Well, today Mr. Spurgeon is going to teach us more about the marvelous removal of the curse. Well, there's no, no reason to wait around. Let's just jump right in. And listen to some more good news, okay? All right, and I quote. Let's see here. Okay, here we go. You will remember in Christ's life that most of the cures he wrought, yea, I believe all, were instantaneous cures. See, there lies a man stretched upon his couch from which he hath not risen for years. Take up thy bed and walk, said Christ in majesty. And then, without the intervention of weeks of convalescence, Immediately he rose up before them, took up that whereupon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Hallelujah. There is another man. He's deaf and practically dumb. Christ said to him, Ephetha, whatever you say that word, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and a string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. Aye, and even in the cases where Christ healed death itself. He did it instantaneously. When that beautiful young creature lay asleep in death upon her bed, Jesus went to her and through her dark ringlets covered up her eyes, which were glazed in death. Jesus did but take her clay-cold hand in his and say to her, Talitha kumi, which being interpreted is damsel. I say to you, Arise. Then straightway the damsel arose and walked. It is true that in conversion, 
Christ commences a work which is to be carried on through life in sanctification. But the justification of the sinner, the taking away of the curse, is done in a single moment. Unwrite the curse, saith God, and it is done. The acquittal is signed and sealed. It taketh not long. I may stand here at this moment, and I may have believed in Christ, but five minutes ago, still, even if I had believed in Christ for only that short time, I'm as fully justified in God's sight as I would be should I live until these hairs are whitened by the sunlight of heaven, or as I shall be when I walk among the golden lamps of the city of palaces. God justifieth his people at once. The curse is removed in a single moment. Sinner, hear that. Thou mayest be now under condemnation, but ere thou canst say now again, thou mayest be able to say, There is therefore now no condemnation to me, for I am in Christ Jesus. Mark, beloved, in the next place, that this removal of the curse from us, when it does take place, is an entire removal. It is not merely a part of the curse which is taken away. Christ doth not stand at the foot of Sinai and say, Thunder, diminish your force. (laughs) He doth not catch the lightning now and then and bind its wings. But when he cometh, he bloweth away all the smoke. He putteth aside all the thunder. He quencheth all the lightning. He removeth it all. When Christ pardoneth sin, he pardoneth all sin. Thou mayest be old and gray-headed and hitherto unpardoned, but though thy sins exceed the number of stars in the sky, one moment suffices to take them all away. Mark that. All. That sin of midnight, that black sin which, like a ghost, has haunted thee all thy life, that hideous crime, that unknown act of blackness which hath darkened thy character, that awful stain upon thy conscience, they shall all be taken away in a moment. And though they hast, thou hast a stain upon thy hand, which thou hast often sought in vain to wash out with the mixtures which Moses can give thee, that's the law, thou shalt find, when thou art bathed in Jesus' blood, that thou shalt be able to say, All clean, my Lord, all clean. Not a spot now. All is gone. I am completely washed from head to foot. The stains are all removed. It is the glory of this removal of the curse that it is all taken away. There's not a single atom of it left. Hushed now is the law's loud thunder. The sentence is completely reversed and there is no fear of it left. We must also say upon this point that when Christ removes the curse, it is an irreversible removal. Once let me be acquitted by God, and who is he that can condemn me? End quote. Oh, boy. Hey, let's consider this in light of what we just learned, okay? What if... There's a miracle cure for cancer, for terminal cancer, okay? It's readily available for anybody who needs it, and it's free of charge, not even a sliding scale. Now, this cure always works, regardless of what type of cancer it is, 
the stage of cancer or the age of the patient. It cures cancer instantaneously. It removes 100% of the cancer, no matter where it's gone in your body. It's gone. and creates in your body a new condition where cancer can never return. Now, if you had cancer, would you desire this cure? Well, of course, there, there is no such cure for cancer. But did you notice that the cure for the curse is exactly like that? The removal of the curse is instantaneous. It's 100% complete, and it is irreversible. Oh, and it's free. Pastor Gary, would you please speak to our listeners today, the ones who aren't fully convinced that this good news is really true? Oh, yes. Wow, what a message today. And you know what? The wages of sin is death. There's no cure for that except through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Are you saved today? Do you need to be saved today? Don't try to work your way through this. Embrace the gift of salvation that's in Jesus Christ, the shed blood that washes away your sin. Oh, pray the simple prayer with me today, my friend. Oh, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I believe Jesus Christ died in my place on the cross, that he was buried and rose from the dead, and that he did that to redeem me, to save me, to forgive me, and to remove the curse of sin on my life. Oh, God, I receive that gift today to be clean and washed through the blood of the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for that gift. I receive it lovingly and thankfully in my heart today. Friend, if you prayed that prayer with me today, would you email me at pastorgarycobc at comcast.net. You see, the gospel is the good news. Jesus died for your sin, was buried, and rose from the dead to save you for eternity and to take away the curse that is upon your sin. Aren't you glad you're saved today? Oh, let me know if you are. And thank you once again for listening to our broadcast today. You know, we have a lot to talk about here on Faith Answers, but it's all about Jesus. And thank you for tuning in each and every weekend. Well, that's all we have time for now. I want to encourage you to tune in next weekend to Faith Answers. And again, on behalf of Lindy Rosenbaum and myself, we want to wish you a very blessed and a very wonderful day. You've been listening to Faith Answers with Pastor Gary Roy. Faith Answers is a listener-supported program. Your generous gifts are needed to help meet the goals of providing solid Bible-based teaching that will strengthen the walk of those already following Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, draw others into a saving relationship with Him. You can help support the Faith Answers radio ministry by visiting mycobc.com. That's mycobc.com. Or mailing your gift to Faith Answers CO Colonial Oaks Baptist Church, 6901 B Ridge Road, Sarasota, Florida, 34241. You can call Pastor Gary Roy at 941-377-2737. Your support is a true blessing to Pastor Gary Roy and the Faith Answers Radio Ministry. Today, there's nothing more important than the truth. Republicans need to know the truth about the candidates for sheriff. 
Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell is attacking your sheriff's office on this radio station. Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. Now he's suing your sheriff's office. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. The truth is, Sheriff Chad Cronister has put criminals behind bars, dropping crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving over $40 million by eliminating wasteful spending. Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. As Donald Trump says... You're fired. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. You're fired. Now Boswell is suing your sheriff's office. You're fired. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. You're fired. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. You're fired. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Sheriff Cronister puts criminals behind bars and has dropped crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell. You're fired. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. Are you frustrated with your child's school? It's time to consider Tampa Bay Christian Academy. I love the teachers. I love the sports here, especially all the friends. The teachers at Tampa Bay Christian Academy are dedicated, mature Christians who will teach your child the word through everyday learning experiences. Teachers are very committed to Christ. They give one-on-one attention to the students, and the students treat each other like family as well. And if you're concerned that your child is either struggling in their current school or is more advanced than their peers, Tampa Bay Christian Academy is the perfect fit. I used to be in intensive reading class, and now I'm actually doing enrolling in HEC for English classes. They've inspired me to do better for myself and for my future. If you don't think you can afford a quality Christian education for your son or daughter, call Tampa Bay Christian Academy today at 813-343-0600. That's 813-343-0600. Online at tbcarams.org. Take Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910 with you wherever you go. Using our mobile app, letstalkfaith.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Faith Talk 570, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com, a service of the Salem Media Group. Yes, our nation is at a crossroads. And as a people of faith, we've been here before. My name is Sheila Griffin. I'm your homegrown pastor, patriot, and pro-life advocate running as a Republican for U.S. House of Representatives, District 13. It's time for us to go to work and settle the matters concerning America because good government just doesn't happen by accident. Go to Vote Griffin. This is Sheila Griffin, and I approve this message. Paid for by Sheila Griffin for Congress. 
We have a real problem in Congress right now. Nothing is getting done. I'm Christine Quinn, and I'm running for U.S. Congress in the 14th District. Since Kathy Kester has been in office for the last 13 and a half years, she has only brought two bills to the floor that have actually passed. Those two bills were to rename post offices. I think we could have done a better job with the $2 million that we paid Kathy over the last 13 years than renaming post offices. We need a Congress that's going to support the President of the United States of America. We need to have law and order reestablished in America. We can no longer allow chaos burning down of our cities. It must stop. As your Congresswoman, I will lay it out for you what's really happening. Get out and vote for me on August 18th. I'm Christine Quinn, and I approve this message. Learn more and donate at winquinn.com. Paid for by Christine Quinn, Republican for Congress. Today, there's nothing more important than the truth. Republicans need to know the truth about the candidates for sheriff. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell is attacking your sheriff's office on this radio station. Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. Now he's suing your sheriff's office. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. The truth is, Sheriff Chad Cronister has put criminals behind bars, dropping crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving over $40 million by eliminating wasteful spending. Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. As Donald Trump says... You're fired. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. You're fired. Now Boswell is suing your sheriff's office. You're fired. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. You're fired. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. You're fired. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Sheriff Cronister puts criminals behind bars and has dropped crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving taxpayers over $40 million. And Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. Conservative Republicans, tell Charles Boswell. You're fired. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. I'm Bill Carl. You're listening to Faith Talk. Bill Bunkley is out today. But we're sharing some teaching and preaching from ministries that mean a lot here to our listeners at Faith Talk, including Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Church of College Hill and really just an incredible man of God. You can listen to Gaining Ground Saturday afternoons at 4 here on Faith Talk. Here's Pastor Burroughs. The forgiveness we have in Christ involves the release of sinners from God, just penalty, and the complete dismissal of all charges against us. And that's the wonderful part about our salvation is that when I accept the Lord and He forgives me, He releases me from the penalty of sin. Welcome to Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs, Senior Pastor of the Dynamic First Baptist Church of College Hill in Tampa, Florida. Find directions and service times at fbcch.org. Stay with us as Dr. Burroughs shares God's Word with clarity and conviction. 
And now, with today's message, here's Dr. Evan Burroughs. So how does the Christian navigate forgiveness? How do, we, how do we have a proper understanding of forgiveness? How do we appreciate forgiveness, forgive while holding people accountable? How does this happen? Well, first of all, we ought to understand what forgiveness is. The reason we need to forgive and receive forgiveness is that we all have experienced hurt in our lives. If I ask you to write down every single word that anyone has ever said that hurt you, every wound that has ever come your way, every relationship that was broken, and every person who betrayed you, your list has the potential of being endless because of the many ways that we've been hurt and the ways we've hurt each other. So what's the reason for this? Why do we consistently hurt one another? It's been suggested that the reason is because we don't love well. And because we don't love well, we're constantly hurting each other and needing forgiveness and mercy daily. But it's, it, it, it's amazing to me how I can always want forgiveness, but re- be reluctant to give it. Isn't it amazing how we can want forgiveness, but we resist giving forgiveness? Do you have trouble forgiving? Be honest now. Don't just, don't just give the Christian answer. Oh, I, get, I, I forgive all. No, just don't think about it for a second. Are there people who still rent space in your head? Who is it that every thought of them makes you tense? When their name is mentioned, you get angry or afraid. If you fall in that category more than anything else, you need to learn to forgive. The Bible never gives a dictionary definition for forgiveness, but it shows us many examples of forgiveness. And the greatest of all examples is the forgiveness of God. God forgave us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God forgave us not because we were good. He forgave us because he was loving. Because he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up. He forgave us, and in his forgiving of us, we have the ability to receive Christ and be be cleansed. Although the following passages does not use the word forgive, they describe the concept of God's forgiveness. For in Psalm 103, verse 8 to 12, it says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Oh, I like that. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Now, I'm one that I, I, you know, I tend to want to treat you the way I think your sin deserves. You don't, you don't deserve it. You don't rise to that level. You don't matter that much to me. But the Bible says, God, God says, look, but I will not treat you as your sin deserves or repay according to your iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions 
from us. That's a lot of forgiveness. It's important to note that forgiveness operates in the realm of sin. When God thinks about forgiveness, God thinks of forgiveness in the realm of sin. And so in the majority of the passages in the Bible that contain the word forgive or forgiveness, sin is also mentioned. Take the following examples. Genesis 50 verse 17. I asked you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they've committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. That's the story of, of, of Jacob and his brothers when they sold him into slavery, into Egypt, and then they come looking for, for help. And God says to Jacob, um, to Joseph, so he says, don't treat them according to what they did to you. How about, how, how about being one that loved payback? Have you ever had an opportunity for someone that wronged you to come back to you looking for help? And then there's that angel on one side and the, angel, the devil on the other side talking to you. And the devil's whispering in your ear saying, uh-huh, now's your chance to stick it to him. Now's your chance to tell him, no, I ain't got it. No, I can't help you. And then the devil says, don't, don't just say that. Go a step further and remind them of the time when you needed them and they weren't there for you. And the Holy Spirit whispers on the other side and says, now you know that's beneath you. You know that you ought not to render evil for evil. You know you ought to be good and kind no matter what. I don't know which one you listen to, but both of them are talking. In Exodus 32, 32, but now please forgive their sin. Leviticus 4.35, in this way, the priest will make atonement for them for the sin they have committed and they will be forgiven. 1 Samuel 25.28, please forgive your servant's presumption. Matthew 12.31, and so I tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. We won't dissect that because there's a whole lot of, uh, of, of discussion on what that really means. Luke 5, 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And so God associates forgiveness with sin. Forgiveness in the Bible is a release or a dismissal of something. And so when I forgive it, I, I, I let it go. When I forgive, I release it. When I forgive, I no longer hold on to it. When I forgive, I let it go. The forgiveness we have in Christ involves the release of sinners from God, just penalty, and the complete dismissal of all charges against us. And that's the wonderful part about our salvation, is that when I accept the Lord and he forgives me, he releases me from the penalty of sin. Some of us don't live like that. Some of us live as if we're still bound. We live as if God hasn't released us, as if God hasn't forgiven us. And that's the wonderful thing about salvation is that I'm forgiven, which means I've been released. Colossians 1.4 says that in God's beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I think the problem we face is that some people see forgiveness as a weakness or letting an undeserving person win. Isn't that, isn't that really what it feels like? 
I, I resist forgiving because to forgive you means I let someone who is undeserving off the hook. But there's no connection to weakness or even to emotions. Forgiveness really is a, is a judicial act. It's kind of like when you go to the courtroom, you don't expect the judge to make a decision based on his feelings. A good judge will make decisions even he emotionally disagrees with if it conforts with the law. No matter what his feeling is, if the law says that he makes a judgment based on the law. No one deserves to be forgiven. That's the whole point. Forgiveness is a deliberate act of love, mercy, and grace. It is a decision not to hold something against another person despite what he or she has done. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were still sinners. I don't know if, 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 we, if, we, if, if we grasp the magnitude of that because we want people to fix themselves before we accept them. And God says, while you were still, that's the word yet, still in your sin. And so we want to answer the question, why should we forgive this morning? Three things and then we'll be done. Number one is we, be, we forgive because God has forgiven us. We forgive because God has forgiven us. And Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. When we don't do this, we are saying to ourselves that we're better than God. I'm saying, God has this standard, but I'm up here. I know better than God about this situation. But he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. People leave churches because they can't forgive. No, let me take that back. They won't forgive. People drop out of ministries because they can't find it in themselves to forgive. But the word here says, bear with each other. That, 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 that means to give each other some room to be human. That means give me space to mess up. That means I won't always get it right. That means sometimes I will hurt your feelings. Not because I intentionally do it, but sometimes I just do it because I'm imperfect and, and I make mistakes and I, I say things in my best interest and I do things in my self-interest and sometimes that rubs up against your self-interest and your feelings are hurt. But it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that I don't like you. It doesn't mean that I want you to suffer. It just means that I'm human. And so rather than you get all up in your feelings, you ought to take the step and say, you know what, let me bear with my brother. Let me bear with my sister. We never know what another person's going through. The church is known for people whose feelings are worn on their sleeves. We feel that our feelings are the only feelings that matter. 
If I'm hurt, then the world must stop and fix it. But if I hurt someone else, that's their problem. Deal with it. Where would you be without forgiveness? If you didn't have forgiveness in your life, you'd probably not be married today. Those of you that are. Because somebody said, I acknowledge your smelly feet, but I love you anyway. You keep putting the toilet tissue on wrong. <laughs> but I love you anyway. I tell folks, okay, why are you arguing over toothpaste? It's cheap enough. Buy two. There's always room to bear with one another. We forgive because God has forgiven us. But second of all, because resentment is futile. Resentment is futile. It doesn't work. Think of this. It's unreasonable. In Galatians 5, 15, if you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. When I hold on to resentment, the only one that it hurts, or it hurts me first, and then it poisons the body. No one wants to be around people that are filled with resentment. Resentment is like a, is like a, a, a saw. A, 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 it, it, it's a pussy-infected boil on you. It, 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 eventually it pops and it spreads everywhere and maybe even gets into your bloodstream. And it, that, That's what resentment does. You, hold, you can only hold on to resentment for so long before it shows up on your face. Can't hold resentment down. Resent, resentment one day will show up. It will show up in sickness. It will show up in outbursts. It will show up in, in, in isolation. It, it will show up in just being mean and ornery to other people. Resentment can only be hidden for so long. Eventually, it's like a cancer. It will eat you away on the inside. It doesn't help you, and it destroys relationships. Resentment is past-focused. You know, to be resentful, you have to keep thinking about what somebody did to you. And you wake up every day saying, God, thank you for this day. Give me a brand new day. And then you go through the rest of the day thinking about somebody that you don't like or something they did to you and how they hurt you. It's a self-imposed prison. You have to let it go. Song in Frozen says, let it go. Got to let it go. See, I'm hip. Y'all think I didn't? I watched Frozen. <laughs> you got to let it go. And life can be so much better because it's unhealthy. L- l- listen, listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. (laughs) Don't let bitter roots grow up. 
If you live in Florida and you try to keep a good lawn, somebody say amen. amen. You, 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 you have to work at it because the weeds will invade your lawn. And for some reason, the weeds just seem to have so much more power than the good stuff. I love, I, I, I wanted that wonderful, luscious-looking St. Augustine, and so I, I got St. Augustine for my yard. And after a while, I noticed that this, 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 this hard, tough grass was just growing into the St. Augustine and, and, and taking over. And so I, I got a company to come in and treat the lawn. And they came in on a schedule. They had me on a schedule. They would come in and they would spray the guy. I'd see him out and he'd be walking and doing the thing and he'd be spraying, spraying, spraying. And a month later, he'd come back and the, 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 the bad grass was even more. And I'm like, dude, look, what are you doing? There's more bad grass here than last month. What are you doing? And he goes, oh, just give me another month, Mr. Burroughs. I got it under control. <laughs> and he'd spray, shh, he'd spray, and he'd go about his business. And he'd come back, and man, the patch is big. And I'm like, okay, you're not doing something right. I said, yeah, well, see, Mr. Burroughs, and he's giving me all this doobity-dap gobbledygook. And so... I had a meeting with, uh, a, a conversation with one of our members, one of our former deacons, and he, he, he and because I saw his grass was just great. And he says, man, let me tell you something. He says, man, I don't trust them guys. He said, let me, let me tell you what to do. And he gave me this, this he says, go to the, go to Home Depot and get this particular brand and, 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 and put it on this setting and, and you do it. He says, I guarantee you, man, in a couple of months, you, you'll be fine. So next, so I called a guy, the guy came, I said, listen, uh, i tell you, don't come back. Just... <laughs> Don't, don't, don't come back. And I did what the deacon told me. Man, and the next thing I know, that dead, that old hard grass start to die out. The good grass start to get thick, push out the bad grass. I think he was spraying water. <laughs> I don't think no chemicals was in that spray. I think he was spraying water. And I've been doing my own grass ever since. See, that hard grass is bitterness. We need to choke out the bitterness with the good. And I put those weed and feeders and all that stuff on it, and it, it was able to, to choke out the bad grass. But what we need is, is, is forgiveness to choke out the resentment. Forgiveness will get rid of the bitterness. Forgiveness will put us on a track where we can enjoy our relationship with God, enjoy our relationship with each other, but we have to learn to forgive. How many times shall we forgive? We forgive because we all need forgiveness. Number three, what, would you, what, do, what you do activate what God does. See, God says you ought to forgive because I've forgiven you. The basis that we give, we give because God first gave. We forgive because he forgives us. A little bit of selfishness is a good thing. Say, what? Mark eleven twenty five. when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sin. See, a little bit of self-interest does some good. Because if I want forgiveness, I need to be willing to offer forgiveness. 
Sometimes we, we, we don't want enough for ourselves, so we're not willing to give to someone else. Isn't it amazing when I give, even on a monetary gift, on a gift basis, if I'm generous, God gives it back to me. But we've got to be willing to get out of our own way in order to receive forgiveness. Not every message is the same. But last week's message was really one that I didn't anticipate the degree to which people would be affected by it. And when I came to this week, it was almost on the same vein, but we're talking about people who are carrying around hurt. They're carrying around really bad habits. They've got some hang-ups. A lot of it is based on the fact that we're carrying around resentment. Because we've all been hurt. We can push it down and we can pretend, oh, I'm over that. That don't matter. I'm done with that. But let me ask you a question. When the name of that person is mentioned, what happens inside of you? That's a good barometer. What happens inside of you? And some have been hurt very deeply. This is not frivolous. This is not cheap. Some of us have been hurt and hurt deeply. But the way to recovery is not to hold on to it. It's to release it. And don't for one minute think that you're letting the other person off the hook. See, because when you forgive, you get release. You get relief. We're not talking about letting an abuser back into your life. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you letting it go so that you can be free, so that you can live the abundant life. Here's what he says in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, for the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's what we need to do. For when you were dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's why we can sing at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, the burden of my heart rolled away because we give it to him. Would you give it to the Lord today? Thank you for listening to Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. God is using Gaining Ground to reach thousands for Christ and to strengthen the walk of believers just like you. Your prayers and financial support keep the ministry strong. Today, when you make a generous gift of any amount to Gaining Ground, you'll receive a copy of Bruce Wilkinson's A Life God Rewards. With this easy-to-read book, you'll find scriptural keys that will help unlock all of the power and potential God has placed inside of you from the very beginning. A Life God Rewards is a tremendously encouraging resource, and we'd like to place it in your hands as a way of saying thank you for your financial gift of any amount to gaining ground. Contact us today at 813-248-6600. That's 813-248-6600. Or click the Donate button at fbcch.org slash gaining ground. 
That's fbcch.org slash gaining ground. Join us next time for another edition of Gaining Ground with Dr. Evan Burroughs. Until then, may God bless you, keep you, and may you continue gaining ground in your walk with Him. My name is James Hargret, and I retired from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office after 28 years. During my last years of service, I noticed that the leadership had fallen off, which affected the deputy's morale, which ultimately affected the citizens' safety. I'm asking the citizens of Hillsborough County to join me and elect Charles Boswell to be the next sheriff of Hillsborough County. Charles Boswell is a good, conservative Christian man. He is a very experienced lawman. He is a loyal husband to his lovely wife, and he is a dear friend that I have known for 30 years. He's going to restore order He is going to bring back morale, and he is going to return the sheriff's office to respectability and remove all of the chaos that has been going on. If we don't elect Charles Boswell for sheriff, we can expect four more years of what we've witnessed over the last four months. I'm Charles Boswell, and I approve this message. Paid for by Charles Boswell, Republican for sheriff. Today, there's nothing more important than the truth. Republicans need to know the truth about the candidates for sheriff. Disgruntled Deputy Charles Boswell is attacking your sheriff's office on this radio station. Boswell was recommended for termination and forced to retire. Now he's suing your sheriff's office. Boswell is on a list of cops whose testimony can't be trusted in court. Boswell is a plant by the Democrats to weaken the chances Republicans have this November. The truth is, Sheriff Chad Cronister has put criminals behind bars, dropping crime rates by double digits. Sheriff Cronister is a fiscal conservative, saving over $40 million by eliminating wasteful spending. Sheriff Cronister is endorsed by conservative leaders like special advisor to President Trump, Pam Bondi, Sheriff Grady Judd, and Attorney General Ashley Moody. The truth is, for conservative Republicans, Chad Cronister is our sheriff. Paid by Chad Cronister, Republican for Sheriff. With America opening up, maybe you're back to the daily commute or hitting the road for vacation. Take a minute, look for cracks or chips in your windshield, and call Auto Glass America. They replaced my windshield twice now, once at my office, once at my home. I trust these guys. If you drive a luxury import, forget about the expensive dealer. With comprehensive insurance, Auto Glass America will install a free windshield and give $100 in cash guaranteed when you mention my name, Mike Gallagher. Call 813-96-GLASS. 813-96-GLASS for Auto Glass America. Tell them Mike Gallagher sent you. The Moss family of dealerships has a new addition. I'm Bill Carl, here to tell you about the new Moss Acura on North Florida Avenue in Tampa. Acura outshines the competition with their flagship, the RDX SUV. Equipped with a powerful 2-liter turbocharged engine and standard features, including the panoramic moonroof, Wi-Fi mobile hotspot, and Apple CarPlay. Seats are covered in butter-soft leather, and the hands-free liftgate makes loading groceries a breeze. And with Moss Acura, you get the same high level of customer service Moss Nissan's known for. Each vehicle comes with Moss Care, including lifetime oil changes, entire rotations, surface shield protection, and more. Veterans, active military, and first responders receive huge benefits with the You Serve, You Save program, as do pastors and church workers. The choice is simple. The choice is clear. The choice is here. Visit Moss Acura on North Florida Avenue in Tampa next to Moss Nissan. 
online at mossacura.com. Take Faith Talk, AM 570 and 910 with you wherever you go. Using our mobile app, letstalkfaith.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. I'm Bill Carl. Bill Bunkley's out today. And coming up next, we're going to share with you preaching from Pastor Paul Purvis. He's the senior pastor of Mission Hill Church in Temple Terrace and the host of The Barnabas Effect. You can listen to The Barnabas Effect weekday mornings at 9 here on Faith Talk and connect at missionhill.org. Up next is The Barnabas Effect, sponsored by Mission Hill Church. And Jesus so changes lives that the change that he makes results in change that changes communities, changes nations, that changes the world. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Morning, church. Welcome to worship. Whether you're joining us in person, you're online, or if you're one of our two campuses at Six Mile or Lake Carroll, if you're here at Central Campus, would you welcome all of those who are worshiping with us today? We're especially excited that at our Six Mile campus, there are a couple of individuals who are walking through the waters of believers' baptism today. Would you celebrate that with them as well? Can you believe it's still 2020? Oh my goodness. Seems like so far we might have dodged this hurricane. Wonder what's next. So many people are walking through so much as I drove to church the short couple of miles today. I had a chance to pray with my friend John who's found himself in the emergency room and uh, just recognize that there's so much pain in the midst of this pandemic. And that's where our faith comes in. So let me ask you a question. What good is it? What difference does it make? We ask that a lot, right? When we're considering a purchase of a a product or when we're considering implementing a program into our life, What difference does this make? What good is it to me? And that's the question that the brother of Jesus, James, asks as he continues to get real. James chapter 2. Find that place in your scriptures. James chapter 2. Just a moment, we'll begin reading in James 2, verse 14. James is the half-brother of Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph. He now pastors the church at Jerusalem that in the midst of a season of persecution is scattered, much like the church in our culture today. But he sees a problem. He sees that the Christ they're professing does not look like the Jesus that he grew up with. The life he saw, the death he observed, the resurrection that led him to faith. It was different. Martin Luther read these same words. Martin Luther is the leader of that great revolution, the Protestant Reformation. 
He read the words of James and he thought, I'm not sure this makes sense. Listen to these words. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? These words to Martin Luther so outraged him that he suggested that the book of James be ripped from the canon of Scripture. He called it an epistle, a letter of straw. Why? Because he had read also the Apostle Paul. And Apostle Paul had said things like this in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our justification, Paul said, is through faith. In Galatians 2.16, he said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. He had read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where it says, far by grace are you saved through faith. And this is Not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. So as we prepare to dive into this passage today, as we look at getting real, we need to ask ourselves, has the Bible contradicted itself? Is there a difference in Scripture about what is being said? The answer is no. That answer is found in one key word. Look again at James 2.14. What good is it, my brothers? Say brothers. We're reading from the NIV. This says brothers and sisters because in the original language, this is not a gender-specific word. It's reminding that all who have followed Jesus, all who have faith in Christ are part of the family of God. So now James is not just a brother of Jesus Christ. He's a brother of all those who follow Christ. He's writing to Christians. Paul is writing to Jews. Paul was trying to tell sinners how to be saved. James was trying to tell those who were saved how to be sanctified. One was dealing with legalism. Paul had a problem in the church where They felt like their law would justify them, make them right. James was dealing with what would be called licentiousness or license. In other words, you can believe in Jesus and then do anything you want because his grace is so big. One's talking about how to become. The other's talking about how to behave. One is describing how to get from earth to heaven. That's Paul. James is describing how to get heaven back down to earth. So, James asked the question, what good is it? Can faith without works save a person? Again, as we prepare to answer that question today, we have to look at one word. We have to look at that word save, a word which we already know has different meanings in scripture. The New Testament talks about that time when we were saved, when you began that relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you who are watching this today, many of you who are present in person today, there's been a point in your life where you recognize that you were a sinner. You realize that the punishment for your sin was eternal death in a place called hell. You knew you didn't want that. 
And you recognize that Jesus didn't want that for you. So he died on a cross. You believed in his death on the cross. You believe that he rose again. You've confessed your faith in Jesus and you've chosen to follow him and you were saved. That's in the past. Then the New Testament talks about our being saved. When we were saved, that was justification. As we are being saved, that is sanctification. It says one day we will be saved. When we will be saved, we call that glorification. In the past, what was saved is our spirit. Our spirit will endure forever. In the present, what is being saved is our soul. In the future, what will be saved is our body. Those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will spend eternity with him in heaven face to face. So James is talking about what it looks like to live out that process of sanctification. But in doing so, he begs the question, if if your life does not look like one who is being sanctified, maybe you should turn back and look in the past and ask if you ever were really saved. So as we get real today, this is kind of a big topic because every one of us listening have an opportunity to evaluate our life, to test our faith. So let's take a moment right now. Let's pause, pray again, and ask God to so speak into our lives that we walk away with assurance that we walk away changed. Let's pray together. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we have gathered worshiping you, crying out not only in praise, but in prayer. Now we've opened your word and we've begun to read the perfect truth of scripture, the objective standard for life, the promise of our hope for eternity. And yet as we hold the mirror of your word up to our lives, we recognize there's need for improvement. That sanctification process, even for those of us who've begun that relationship with you, needs to continue. We need to grow. So Lord, teach us what we do not know, giving us what we do not have, making us what we've not yet become. Lord, as a messenger this morning, I simply pray Would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing to you? For you, O God, are my strength. You, O God, are my redeemer. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to get real as we continue in James. But I want you to understand one thing as we go forward. It's really the one truth I want you to get today. Dynamic faith changes you and the change in you results in change in your little corner of the world. As you look at your life in the reflection of God's word, you need to ask, has this faith I profess changed me? 
And has the change in me resulted in a change in my little corner of the world? If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Let's continue to read in the book of James. We'll pick up in James chapter 2 and verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be worn and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? There's the question again. So also faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with the works and and faith was completed by his works. The scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. See that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out in another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. James is trying to tell us that separating faith and works is like separating heat and light from a candle. You look at a candle and you see that that same candle produces both heat and light. It's hard for you to distinguish between the two. They affect your senses differently, but you know they're both there. John Calvin would describe it this way. He would say, it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies can never be alone. So James is really describing in this passage four kinds of faith. First of all, he says, beware of a dysfunctional faith. A dysfunctional faith is one that he describes as useless. It makes absolutely no difference. You may say that you have faith, but as one looks at your life, you're no different than those who don't even express that they have faith. For years, we've talked about this kind of faith as we've talked about missions, because we will look at people around the world and and we say that they have a nominal faith. That means though they are in the Middle East, they may say they're Muslim, but they're not practicing Muslim. That's simply a family they were born into. They may say they're Christian, but they're not practicing Christian. That's simply a family they were born to. It's faith in name only. And James says this is a useless kind of faith. What good is it? There's profession, but no evidence of 
possession. I would challenge you today to ask, is there any chance that I've got this kind of dysfunctional faith? Most of us that would take the time to be here or to watch this message, to listen in on the teaching from God's word, that's probably not the issue, so let's continue. James says, beware of a dead faith. And he says that several times. Faith without works is dead. It's not sick, but dead. How do you know if your faith is dead? Well, a dead faith may be one that depends solely on what you say. So you walk down an aisle or you raised your hand or you prayed a prayer. And so with your lips, you professed Christ, but nothing happened beyond that. It's important that you understand wherever you are, whatever your setting and season of life, that according to Jesus himself, your profession alone is not enough. In fact, he would put it this way in Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. It's possible to say the right things, to pray the right prayers, but have a dead faith. You you can't help but think that that's something that's going on in our culture. Did you know that in the United States of America, in the most recent Gallup and Pew surveys, 87 to 90% of people would say that they believe in God. But that means different things to different people. It's a profession. Does it demonstrate any change? James is saying your talk is cheap. You've got to ask, is the talk making any difference in the walk? It moves from nominal faith, a professing faith, to a possessed faith when it shows up in your life. I like the way someone said it. They said it shows up in two different books, your checkbook and your date book. It shows up in your bank account and your calendar. When you live out your faith, it affects everything. If not, you're just living it out in word only. Charles Ryrie said, every Christian will bear spiritual fruit somewhere, sometime, somehow. So think about it. Is there anything more than a profession, anything more than talk in your faith journey? I think it was back first in the Jesus movement that someone asked this question. Francis Schaeffer, if I'm not mistaken, said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Or is it just something you talk about? Dead faith may be based solely on what you say, but dead faith may be solely on what you do. So you've gone through the right motions. You've signed up, whatever it is, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, non-denominational is a big one right now. Fill in your blank. You've even been through rituals, been baptized, whether that means dunked or dipped. You've walked down an aisle. You've raised a hand. You've prayed a prayer. You went to church class. Been to confirmation. You've had that first communion. 
all those rituals. You don't drink and you don't chew and you don't go with girls that do. You're checking off the right boxes. It's what you do. But James is consistent with Paul. Our faith is not just what we do. I was thinking about this and thinking about how for some of us it would make us feel better if it was, right? If it was our pedigree, our, our resume of faith. We know Paul agreed with James because in Philippians, he would say all these things that he has done. He's given his resume in Philippians chapter three. And then he says, but I count that all as rubbish. Literally, he says, dung. You don't know what that is? Look it up. I began to think about my background. Pretty good. I was in church nine months before I was born. They put me on the roll before I ever showed my head. Then I became a follower of Jesus at a young age. I like to say I was Baptist born. I was Baptist bred. When I eat fried chicken, I'm Baptist fed. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I've got all that pedigree. I went to a Baptist college, a Baptist seminary. I've got graduate degree the studies for doctoral work. I've pastored five different churches. I've received honors. I've I've led our Florida Baptist pastors. I've, I've led pastors here in Tampa Bay. As a young age, I was a leader in the Southern Baptist Convention. Yet God's word doesn't list any of that, does it? I could do all those things. And go to hell. Because it's not just what you do. So he says, beware of this dysfunctional faith. Beware of a dead faith. And then he really throws a wrench at it. He says, beware of demonic faith. Demonic faith. You know that according to scripture, the devil and his demons have faith. James 2.19 puts it this way. You believe that there is God and he is one? You do well. Big deal. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Demonic faith. What is James saying? It's not about being orthodox. It's not about your creeds. It's not about intellectualism. You can know all the right things and that knowledge never makes the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart. You never experience the transformation. Jesus encountered demons. One example is Matthew chapter 8 and verse 29. It says, and behold, they cried out, what do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us? Do the devil and his demons believe that Jesus is God? Yes. In fact, I got to thinking about that. Could a demon join most churches? Well, it depends on what you ask. They go to membership class or in some cases still walk down an aisle. Pastor greets him. Hi, my name is Paul. What's your name? Well, it's Lucifer, but you can call me Luke. All right, Luke, you believe in God? Yes, I do. 
Do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. You know that he died on the cross for the sins of mankind? Oh, yeah, I know that. Are you aware that he rose from the grave? Yes. See, orthodox belief is not what it takes to have a relationship with God. But if you ask old Luke, hey, Luke, have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus? Are you following him? Lucifer would say, no, 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 no. It's, that's not going to happen. Because it's all about me. See, a demonic faith is all about self. What kind of faith do you have? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to Mission Hill 